Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to another episode of HLTV Confirmed, episode number 10. We're going to summarize just quickly what is coming up on today's show. We've got Carrigan here in the hot seat. We're going to the recent news. We just finished off Pro League for season number 12. Uh, some players in North America going to Valorant. No surprises there. Talking about those coach bands or moves to being analysts. I'm uh, going to be taking a little bit of a look as well with uh, some playtime questions that you guys at home have been asking Carrigan. And we'll get to that towards the tail end now. Let's get this one underway. Uh, there might be a couple of tech issues. Lucas hasn't been doing his job right again, but he hasn't been fired this week. So, Lucas, say hello to everybody. Hi, guys. Okay, that's good. He, at least he's in a, ch a chippy mood right now. Uh, Prof, what'd you have for breakfast? Um, actually, some cookies. Not, not the best mm -hmm. breakfast, but I wasn't really feeling that well. So I'm like, I can eat whatever the fuck I want today. That was the mood. So do not recommend, but it is what it is, man. Okay, Striker, did you have breakfast or have yeah. you uh, only only just woken up? Well, I don't know if you can count it breakfast when it happened at like 12, but I guess I guess so, yeah. Game is first middle of the day. We'll count it. Now, before we introduce our guest, uh, let's run the bumper, Lucas. And in the hot seat today, we have none other than Finn Carrigan Anderson, born on April 14th, 1990. He's a Danish slash German professional Counter-Strike Global Offensive and former professional Counter-Strike player who currently plays for Mouse Sports as an in-game leader. That's thanks to Liquipedia. If HLTV.org, guys, if you had little blurbs like that, I could read those. So maybe work on that, Prof and Strike. See what you can come up with in the future. Maybe it could be better. Finn, how you doing? I'm doing all right. It's been uh, two long weeks with some Pro League and also the... Qualify for DreamHack Open. Uh, that's coming up, right? In in, in twelve days. So there's been a, a stressful two three weeks we had. We're calling it the Counter Strike Network at the moment, mate. It doesn't stop. It's twenty four hours around the clock, every single fucking day of the week. Uh, if people want Counter Strike, they just have to go onto Twitch. It's always there. But something that I wanted to ask you about immediately before we get this off, Lucas, I sent you the link. Do you want to bring it up for everybody at home? Uh, and we can just show the people. Finn, if you want to talk about this, I don't know if you can see it. That's a, that's a question. Uh, but it's a, a link that oh. you put on uh, social media just the other day. I'll put it in TeamSpeak for you. And maybe you can uh, let everybody know, if you want to, what this is about. Or maybe we sh can move on if you don't want to talk about it. Because we saw this come through. You got 57.1k likes on it. Uh, no views on it. Uh, what is this about? I have to log into Twitter on this PC. One oh, second. Oh, shit. Okay. <laughs> well, uh, is, that, uh, is it this uh, tweet the I made? Uh... Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, there's not much to say yet about it. Okay. Uh, I just have to tell my uh, fans to wait and see what's going to happen. So, okay. not more about that right now. All right. Well, we can uh, get stuck into some questions then. I thought maybe we could pry some early information out of you with that <laughs> one right there. But uh, look, let's just recap, right? Because Mouse Sports Tailender last year looking bloody fantastic. Tailender 2019, you were first at uh, CAC. You won EPL Season 10. Uh, you came first at CS Summit, even though you were on the plane on your way to get the visa. Uh, moving into this year, you won the Ice Challenge over Na'Vi, I believe it was. And, and things were looking good. But then it started to, to taper off for mouse sports you know you guys it felt like you were either getting figured out or, or you were you know running out of ideas or the players weren't performing to the top level that they needed what was uh what was going on from your standpoint i mean it's hard to say right because i, I felt like uh what we had um end of year and beginning of year was pretty good i felt like individually and as a team we were kind of the best team in the world i didn't respect anyone in any matter didn't matter what any matchup we had i felt like we could win in any game um, coming into Katowice, I kind of felt we had some 
off matches. Like each two match, somehow we win first map so easy, and then we just get smashed the last two maps. And and that was like the match to make sure we make it to the playoff, right? Then we end up playing, I think it was on the Thieves. Yep. And again, we win first map easy, I think, and somehow let it slip out of our hands. Um, so looking at those results, I was like, that was really strange to see that we can have so good first map and suddenly maybe we are too overconfident or something. It's, it was really hard to see what happened uh, during that tournament. So I didn't take it as, as a big sign of issues. Maybe we were too overconfident. Maybe we need a, a slap on the wrist or in face to get back in the game, right? And then ESL Pro League started and I kept seeing these strange results out of us. We get seven rounds against OG. 10 days later, we can beat Astralis, even though we also get five rounds four days before that. And we didn't be in second place. So it kind of felt really strange, these result in, I think it was March, April, right? When we had this uh, first Pro League uh, online and we kind of got second place, lost uh, 3-2 to Fnatic in the best of five final, right? And that's not a bad result when you take in consideration what we had in Katowice. But after that, uh, I don't even know what happened, but it can't... Within three, four weeks, it kind of felt like we were outside top 10 so fast compared to the other results. Um, it wasn't because we were figured out, I feel like, because during that period, I worked so hard on making completely new strats. Like, from after the Pro League, I went into the server, figuring out all the maps, what we should do. Two months later, I did the same thing, because I kind of felt like we're playing so many matches, Maybe it doesn't work, um, but something was not clicking within the team. And like you said, the performance on, uh, from the players besides Rubs was dropping drastically. You're talking all four players going 10% below the level they had only six months ago. Voxic, David, uh, Voxic, Frozen, Chris and me dropping completely off a cliff. And I think that was too harsh. Normally you can have one or two players drop off a cliff and you can still make it far in tournaments, right? Um, but here, just everything fell off. All the maps we could rely on, train those two, was always our key map. Suddenly we had losing three or five maps in a row. And I was like, okay, we've probably got figured out. But in the end, I didn't feel like that when I'm watching the demo. So it was a very strange situation with with the whole team situation. Couldn't boot camp. Maybe that was part of this being away for so long time. Um, people maybe not having these... A normal rhythm, you would say, in doing a day, right? How you meet up to a tournament. I had the same issue. Me and Chris talked a lot about how can how can we fix this, that you have this like normal tournament day life where you wake up, you see your teammates, you go to tournament, you go to the match you perform, right? You're just home, working your ass off. And I worked more the last six months than I ever done any period when there was a tournament because I had this eager to win and stuff like that. And I also had to take a break during that period um, in May where I said to myself, okay, you need a week off from CS right now because you're overthinking stuff. And I, I think all in that overthinking and also the individual performance did that we didn't play so good in the end uh, with that lineup. Just, just tying together the end of like 2019, I suppose, you guys were attending an awful lot of events. Do you think that you, you attended too many or do you feel like the run was worth it because of all the victories you guys picked up? I would say it was worth it because it gave so much confidence to the team, right? I've been part of many teams where I suddenly you click a tournament and the next tournament you don't even need to make new stuff. You're just rolling out this feeling, everybody's making the right decisions. So if it would have gone wrong, let's say in Pro League we, we won and we go in January, February and we suddenly play like, let's say, four tournaments within eight weeks 
and we start losing, I would blame it on that. Yes, that would have been a stupid thing to do, to throw away the momentum so fast. But we kind of gained the momentum by going to Shanghai, by going to Summit, somehow winning with a stand-in. Um, so, yeah, I think overall it was the right decision. We had to make a move as a lineup end of the year to kind of get that trophy in our hands and also motivation to know and need to know as a team if you can beat the best teams in the world. So I think it was worth it, even though, um, I mean, we made four or five finals, lost one final to Vitality, who had like 14 days of boot camp before the 8% final, right? So um, I think it was worth it then, even though it was really tough on the team, but I don't think it translated into 2020 at all at any point. Okay. Uh, striker Prof, you guys got anything here? What about um, how you were dealing with like the fact that everything moved online? Because it felt like, Almost everybody got it, got affected in some way, and as you were talking about, you were kind of inconsistent. You know, like that Astralis uh, turnaround at, at Pro League comes to mind, where you lost like sixteen three, sixteen one one day, and then the next day you beat them in 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 three maps uh, fairly easily. So was just the the fact that that everything moved online also a factor for you guys, or, or did you feel like that wasn't? Um, like it's hard to say, right? Because I feel like if you watch most sports the the last one and a half years, the way we won those matches as grinding back comebacks often. It's not like we had a huge lead and we just closed out the match. It was more like somehow we made a comeback when we just see everybody shouting, Voxic, me, everybody stepping up, you know, and we kind of fire each other up. And moving that towards online, yes, that will 100% be affected. Voxic is a land player. Everybody knows that when he's on land, you see him shouting, you can see the passion coming through, right? And I also have hard times sometimes showing that passion online. But right now, I'm shouting everything can in my mic just to motivate the guys yeah. because I feel like that's the only way we get back in that kind of feeling. This is how it's set, right? This is how this. And also, I feel like in the beginning of this COVID-19 thing, we didn't know how long it's going to last, okay? Uh, that's going to be a land in three months, we all say, right? And then suddenly there's no sign of it. We keep playing bad. Uh, we even try to keep the mood up. But even if I pointed out the next match, we would have the mood up because I said the mood is really important for the team. And then the match after we won, suddenly the mood is down. And it, I feel like kind of everybody has to step up their role even more online to keep the mood up and keep everyone fired up because that was kind of the identity of Mouse, I would say, that we trust that we can do the comeback and everybody just feeling this fire of everybody in the teammates and that didn't translate into online as as i would have hoped and i feel like that has changed a lot right now with a new player new energy everybody is again in this like okay it's it's a new time it's trying to create a new identity as a team right so um that's the difference between now and and the old mouse lineup we had online i feel like i want to ask yeah. about the about the timing of the Krieg nerf that actually came in after Pro League, right? That was the last event that had the the overpowered Krieg, let's say, with Brolan being an MVP, so people remember that. What, I mean, statistically, Mouseports actually weren't the team that used it the most. Like, you were, I think, in the bottom five of the top teams or something like that. But how did that play in into, like, your guys' play style? Because I think you used it quite a bit and maybe... Frozen? I, I'm not sure. I think the rest of the team didn't Chris use it that much. Using it, right? So, so how much do you think that that actually play a part in like the issues you had later in in the year? I would say that actually in the beginning of the year we didn't use it as much as we did in the end of the year. We kind of had the feeling that Creek was so OP if you bought it and the CTs got it, it would wreck you. Let's say you just third is three zero, you lose to Creek. Two creeks are gone, CT hands, and you're playing nuke. 
Uh, I mean, uh, how are you going to attack the sites when a Krieg is holding ramp, Krieg is holding outside? It's like basically like an orb. So I kind of felt like we already knew after Pro League that we won so many matches by getting the Krieger CT. Suddenly you are, you are, have so big advantage on train, for example, where we often got a Krieger CT. You don't need to go in team in to take map. You just sit back behind six and just aim at people coming out. So we started not playing it a lot in the beginning of the year. Um, so also the Creek nerf was, I was actually happy about the Creek nerf because I felt it could have hurt us harder if it was right after pro league, because we were using as much as everyone does, uh, did at that, uh, at that point. But it didn't really change much for us the way we're playing because we already decided not to buy it too much. We decided to buy it in overtimes, I think, against Astralis. We didn't play it the whole map on those two, but over time I pick it up because now it doesn't matter anymore, right? It's like three rounds and, and you just have to get all the advantage you have. So I kind of didn't feel the Krieg nerf hit us that much, but it can be the zone of players. We're kind of getting used to playing Krieg on the CT side like picking up from the enemies that that could have hurt us but not by buying ourselves i didn't feel that hurt us as much um so yeah okay well uh i, I think what we can do now is move uh, forward in the timeline a little bit and, and start talking more recent events now uh everybody is well aware of of the woxic departure i suppose from the outside and the way it was framed or the way that the, it was t picked up by the community uh, what's what's the Finn take? What's the Carrigan take from the Mouseport side of things with this going down? I mean, there's a lot of stuff, right? Because, um, like I said, the mood was an issue, but it wasn't only Voxic, for example. You know, a mood in a team is often based on how everybody's reacting to each other. If you're used to a guy being happy, he, if he's not suddenly happy, you have a kind of issue. Somebody has to take his place to be the happy guy, right? And everybody knows from, from Lance that me and Voxic is the guys who gets the most fired up in the lineup. Um, missing that out on Voxic, which we also talk about, it is is Corona time, so it is different. You're sitting al alone, home online. He can't be at boot camp. Um, the boot camp we did, we couldn't get him into Germany, and we tried so much for two or three weeks, but it was not possible, and that's kind of also harsh that we have to play there without him because it doesn't feel like a team. But we had to go to see each other on land to kind of play. Um, and like I said, everybody dropped off a cliff uh, uh, besides Rups, right? And I kind of knew that if we didn't perform at Cologne, even though we we're sitting five of guys at land and Voxic at home, that's had to have something, something happen, right? Um, for me, the goal of Cologne was, can we be a competitive team again? Can we have a chance in all the matches played? Do we lose 2-1? Or do we just lose 16-5, 16-4 again? Because that's not acceptable anymore. Yes, it was acceptable in before the, the, the summer break because we were maybe getting a little burned out. The results were getting to our heads. But this was like a fresh start. And it kind of felt like something missed in the team. And as an in-game leader, as a coach and an organization, it is hard to set the finger on what it is because it's... You look at the lineup, you say Robs is the only one safe. <laughs> Everybody else on the uh, on, on the server is not safe at the moment. They're performing. Uh, you might gonna say I have an important role, but could there be someone else performing better in my place as well, right? Right now I feel like Robs is top three rifle in the world, the way he has performed with the team in, in, in his uh, in his in your mind, right? Then yep. then you feel like Robs is suitable safe in the team. So the decision made is made by coach, organization, and the team, and a lot of long talks. What's going to happen? Who, uh, what can we do? What's the changes? And we had, like you heard, we had uh, Aurimas Bimas on the on on the bench, which wasn't supposed to step in at all at this point. 
Um, he was supposed to watch some practices, be a development player. He still has school, so him playing full pro is is very tough for himself uh, with the stress level. Um, but but like I said, something had to happen. We had to just try to to figure out some different roles in the team. Um, and that's also figured out for what are we going to do for the future, right? We have no idea if the lineup is going to stay like that. We don't have a stable main noble right now. We're trying to figure out who is that going to be, right? Because when you play Svoxic, you need to be very sure the next Oba you have or the Oba on your team is doing the job you exactly need as a team. Plus, you cannot get a better Oba than Voxic in pure reflex, pure aiming. He is a really, really good Oba um, if he's going to be used right and he's in the in the right spot at the right time. So um, it was a tough decision all for the organization team and coach because there wasn't no direct line of where we wanted to go and and this is how we ended up and and we just said okay we're gonna take tournament by tournament see how we're gonna do with the roles what are we gonna do for 2021 basically and we're not thinking one day ahead or two days or three weeks we are thinking what can we do to uh, become one of the best teams in the world in 2021 and i think that's the main point of of this kind of identity change of most sports so why yeah go for it Shaga. um it's just yeah you were talking about the roles and obviously most people would have expected Chris J to just take over the op. Not not only just because he's he is the only like other main opera basically historically that that you have on the team, um, but also because it seemed like something that could get him out of the slump that he that he was in, right? Just like a change of change of space, change of a role, just to get him fired up again. You know, have have him on the op a little bit more again. It just seemed like a pretty obvious choice, right? So why? Why just throw it around so much instead of you know pu- putting it to the guy that uh, that is most used to it? I guess. I mean, everybody knows uh, once Chris was main orbing below her Sunday, suddenly when when you play as as an orbo, right? You're testing it out. Uh, I think the best example you have is below her Sunday with Chris and also the pre in Australis, right? When you play this one tournament and you feel really really good with it. You might and your teammates might think this guy can be a really good role. We need to keep him as a main over. But what I wanted to do is to make sure that we take the right decision, pushing Chris in the main up before he gets into that zone and suddenly he wants to keep it and maybe not completely satisfied with him after two or three tournaments. Um, what I wanted to achieve on the same time we putting me on the main up was to get a better overview and also get out of my role. I've been, played the same T role, I don't know, for nine years now, running in, being into Freka. Uh, playing in for, in for plays, making the right calls, right? So I wanted to challenge myself as an in-game leader to put myself in an open role because I still feel I can do, do a decent job and be very supportive. Um, but the other issue we had in team was the flashbangs in the team. We, as a team, don't do the right flash at the right time. And what I really paid attention to through the stats that in Pro League, the first few um, games, my flash attacks went through the roof because I'm not dying first anymore. I can set up my teammates with the perfect flashes, the perfect grenades. So that was a thought process I wanted to try out before changing Chris into another role again. So Chris, I want him to stay in the same role and be must take my role together with Chris, right? So it wouldn't be a change of the other ways around. So me and Chris is veterans, right? He can play a role one day and the next day he can play main orb. It doesn't affect him as much as it does. And also want to see how Bumas and Chris works as an interdrew and how me and Bumas works as an interdrew because down the line it's always easy to take the safe choice in Chris but what if it would work better with me in a period? Um, but I didn't feel like I 
played good enough with the orb to justify that I had to have it all the time. But what I saw during this period where we played two, three weeks was if I don't always go first, then I can have way more impact in the mid-round calling and exactly save my nades for the execute I want to do. Because often, if you see the games, I'm first in as a guy going in on the bomb side. That means maybe the grenades you need to throw on the fly is not as good as, as mine, for example, right? So that was a thought process, and I kind of feel like I can take something out of the both sides from the main orbing role as an in-game leader and the and the entry and if I can mix that maybe I can find an even better style where I'm calling it and and that's for that's for future to see how that works now with uh, maybe changes in the roles. Just on that right there, so obviously uh, the last two matches you guys have within Pro League, the big game, it looked like you were doing the primary orping. Uh, obviously, Chris picking it up, you, you mentioned to us previously, maps like Nuke, CT side, Chris would do the primary orping because it's a difficult you know thing to pick up. Uh, but then against Astralis, it looked like Chris was doing the primary orping and you were going back to that entry role. Like, Why did you decide to change it from the big game into the Astralis matchup? Um. Yeah, so basically what I, what I said to... I talked with Chris before making this uh, change. We actually changed before the big game. So okay. here, here was... I wanted to throw a curveball. We couldn't really play with our veto. You have you have seen us picking... It was straight up what we we're going to do in the veto, right? So everybody knew what we we're going to pick, how the is going to look like, all pass out. I could not play with people's anti-stratting. So what I thought to myself is like... I tested um, one or two matches before against Big that put Chris on the main orb on some maps to see how it works. Two things to it that is, first of all, I know Big and Astralis is two teams that heavily rely on anti-stratting. And by throwing a curveball that we're anyway going to change now, I think it was worth a gamble because our map pool was not strong, right? So people find our weaknesses. So does two look really good in the beginning of Pro League with me made orbing and then it went to, yeah, basically shit. Like we, we lost four dust uh, two in a row, so I knew Big is going to pick it and throw Chris on main up to kind of surprise them there. And uh, I think we kind of did that. Um, but um, the second thing was that anyway, you're going to change. I feel Chris was the right time to do it. Um, all I think it was the right decision. And like you said, it, it, it kind of looked strange. Suddenly he was main on the other day. Um, there was actually a third thing that's also... The problem as a main orber, we had that at TSM as well. We had three orbers, KGMB, Device, and me, right? Um, one of the things, key issues we had back then was if we started on Nuke, Device would main orb. If second map would be Mars, I would main orb. Third map, KGMB would main orb, right? That means your orber doesn't need to really get warmed up. And I could really feel that since we picked Nuke a lot in Pro League, that Chris was getting wound up with the orb on nuke and i kind of got in the second map not really feeling the orb yet and i had to kind of only in the third map i start feeling comfortable with it um so that was really something i also kept reminding myself about tsm that having not a primary orb constantly can really also put pressure on the orb that suddenly is going to pick it up on third map Okay. How do you how do you see this working out in the future then because obviously it seems like you don't really have your mind completely made up but made up about what the what the state of affairs will be with it i mean i kind of said that earlier right because we put chris on the main op now we're gonna see how that works right okay. so we give him the full ivp experience now where i had six or five maps and he had one map on nuke right because I didn't want to take that from him that was the same they had a mouse boss he's really good uh, on main orbing that map so yeah, right now we're gonna see how that works with chris and and take it from there um like I said, uh, my role maybe also changed a little bit my calls now, 
uh, work around that because of the experience I had as a main opera. So I wanted to try that main opera experience before Boot Christian because I felt like that could give me another view of how I can utilize the orb better. And I feel like there's some kind of things in my career, like I play with the best opera, but only in part of the period I can get the best out of him. Guardian is an example, Elu is an example. Um, and also um, now here with Voxic, right? We got really good things out of Voxic in a period, but suddenly it fell through. And I don't know if that relies on me, the way I'm, my style maybe changed during a year, or it's just the player maybe changing his style, right? You never really know before um, you see the facts. How important do you think it is to, to have an opera of that caliber, though? Because if we look back at Liquid, when they were, were one of the best teams in the world, Nitro was doing the lion share of the orping, and he wasn't a primary opera, right? So you have now that, that little spicy rifle trio of Rops, Frozen, and obviously BMAS coming in the mix. Like, that is a very, very potent rifle mix. Do you think it's important for you guys to have a star opera, or you can just make those riflers do a lot of that work? Yeah, that that's kind of the things I pay attention to, right? Since you don't have a star orb, but the rifles gets way more space in the map, right? I feel like Rups has always had the space. He he has a very set role, but suddenly Flows and Beamers is getting a lot more movement and reflect potential because there's not a main orb in scenario, right? Um, Inferno comes to mind on the T side. I cannot remember last time I felt so confident on the T side Inferno. Because we don't have a main orbit, we yeah. have very explosive players in me, Chris, and Primas. That means when you go on B Inferno, nobody stops. The, the first goal, just get into triple and dark and, and get the bomb side. Where if you had a main orbit, he might be a little slower into the side. And then you had your more passive players uh, like Frozen and Rubs, right? But when we attack a side, now it's three guys running kamikaze into side. And you just trade really fast off each other. And I think... That's one of the biggest changes I've actually seen now by not having a main orbit. Um And I kind of also, that makes sense in the uh, Liquid exam, but they were really good on the Inferno team. And I don't think you really need a T orb on, on that map. You, you need it to maybe scare the enemies, but you don't need it as a um, a thing to win, right? You just need the utility uses in a very good way. So that's one of the things I've seen changing. And also Nuke is a map that you don't need an orb on the T side again. And that's the two best maps in our pool right now is Inferno and Nuke, where you can really use the, um, the rifles to, to a better degree now without uh, having a main orb uh, behind just a third guy. Okay, sweet. Uh, Prof, you got anything on this? So what does that mean, like, moving forward? Would you be comfortable playing with, a, like, a either without a main opera or maybe with someone let's say like Broki, who does it in a more like passive way right or maybe even henny and furia as well so how do you think about like the future of the opera role, uh, for yourself i mean that's a really good question right because i still feel like there's more maps where they all can have a main impact on winning right uh, again a good example is train completely fell off a cliff for us even though we have capable orbs in our team to actually play that map right um, so T-side train, for example, I can really feel we are missing Voxic. Like he was good on getting those entries. If I didn't make space or something else, we had another um, kind of uh, aces in our pocket, right? If my team main thing didn't work, Voxic would get an entry or he would get an entry because of I'm making space, right? So there I can feel that we are missing a really, really good opera. So coming down the line, I need to take a more specific decision what's gonna happen and as right now i feel like the way we're playing uh right now is good as it is and i wouldn't change a thing right now um 
But again, I'll say for tournament for tournament, do we need a star upper or, or we don't? Maybe Chris turns into a, a capable star upper, but have a very good supportive element, right? Then suddenly you have a good mix of what you need as an upper uh, in this team where the rifles are really going uh, crazy. So it's hard to say yet, uh, to be honest. Um, it is the testing theory and, and experiment uh, how the meta shifters as well. Do you think, especially during this online era where we have just tournament after tournament, matches going on nonstop, that being in this state of flux that you guys are at the moment is actually like a, a benefit versus the teams who are already quite locked and set in their ways, like Big, for example, or um, maybe some of those more established, like how complexity was starting to get. They were, their, their T-sides, you were starting to watch them and going, okay, well, this is the same thing over and over again, and teams were cottoning on with the counter strategy. Do you think being in flux right now is giving you guys an advantage? With all the online matches being played, I I think so. Being this very moving around, maybe the role changed, maybe it didn't. Um, again, Astralis has also this six or seven man thing. They could change the play up uh, ten days before next tournament, right? So uh, I feel like nowadays people are so heavily focused on anti shredding that it can also hurt you in a way if the suddenly team changes, right? Because you build your whole game plan around that. I never really liked it, but I have to start doing it. I have a set plans in my head what I need to do. Sometimes I forget because I got catched in the moment of, of the feeling of the game. Um, but yeah, maybe it helps, but again, it's too early to say, right? Because we had issues in the the close qualifier uh, for the DreamHack where we played 32 uh, rounds uh, average in yeah. these matches. Um, but playing the teams where... I don't know what happened, but something happened. We played way better CS. Um, so I don't know. Or we, or we catch the other guys off guard. Uh, it's hard to say, right? So it, it, still early phase to say. We only had a month now with Beamers, I think. And it has been non-stop uh, map swaps. I think we played average at least one map each day. Like when you take out uh, the whole time, right? And yep. here school at the same time. So it's not like much practice uh, could be fit in with the whole system. How raw is BMAS? Like, uh, as a player who obviously had a little bit of time there on phase, but before that, nothing really. Like, how, how malleable is he? Because obviously, we're watching him going in, like, either second or first man, and especially on Nuke. I remember watching one of the games the other day. This His aim was just fucking nutty. He looks sick. Uh, he has really good mechanics. Uh, it's a different mechanics than Rob's has. He spray transfers a lot. So that means he's really good when he goes into sight. And also, when I watched him the first few days in ice, it kind of reminded me of Rain, the way he clears anchors really fast compared to Rob to take it slow. And I also really liked to uh, play with Rain back then because the way he ran into side was so clean to watch, but still so fast. So um, he is has a lot of talent right now, but he also have a long day. So he's going for school from 8 to 15, then 16 to 21 practice, and he has basically no life outside CS, right? Um, but I would say there's still some things he has to improve on the CT side, which I'm trying to tell him um, on specific maps where he, he has to realize how to play that better because now I could see in demos that people abuse the way he played the specific side. So I tried to tell him, try to watch this kind of demos and he's also asking who should I watch and I'm trying to give him kind of a point of what players are hard to read in those positions. Um, but yeah, Nuke, he's a monster right now. And also I feel um, Inferno still has something to learn. Uh, but, but especially in New, you can feel he's very comfortable on that map. And that's really good to see already that he's doing the right decisions and he lost his position. And that, like also everybody said in the interview, I tried to make sure he is happy as possible. And then over time, I have to tell him, 
okay, maybe you're not good enough to play this position. I'm sorry, because it, it takes a lot more experience. Even I didn't learn to play this position after five years of playing, right? But right now, I'm giving him the possibility to change my mind about maybe that's not the best place for you to play, but I'm giving him the chance to kind of prove that by watching demos or coming with ideas, because I feel like if you give the player the trust that he needs, like, okay, you, I'm giving you a chance to show it. I'm not saying this tournament or the next kind of uh, weeks or only one day, you know, I'm giving the possibility to change my mind. And if it doesn't improve over that time when I'm watching the official matches, I have to tell him uh, this is how you're going to do it or we have to move you around. And, and he's very happy just to say, like, if I'm exactly explaining how he needs to play it, he will try it. But he's also a little scared to do mistakes. And I think that comes with maybe not that confident yet in himself, but we are really confident in him as a, as a teammate. What do, you, what do you then think about the way FaZe used him and then kind of left him on the sides, right? What do you think about that whole situation, how it transpired? We call that a classic your... pump and dump in the business, Prof. <laughs> okay, that sounds... I mean... Oh, but yeah, your former teammates and all of that, so you have a bit more insight, right? Yeah, to be honest, I, I don't know what they thought. Like, how... Olof is a guy with so much experience. His role takes so much experience, doing the right thing at the right moment, helping the team in the right set of situations. He's going to be in the free and freeze. He's going to take the right decisions every time. You put a 70-year-old kid who is first team is in phase, where the pressure is, if you're not number one, you guys are shit. So... <laughs> Basically, you put him in a role where yeah, Olaf might not have been the best at, at some point, but he did a lot for the team in, in the course and the way he was moving, not doing mistakes. Because the role Olaf had was basically don't do mistakes, don't do screw-ups. Because if you do that, you cost the whole team. Um, and I think with that, when the players, I think it was the wrong thing to do. I don't know if there was a long-term or, or this temporary thing, but you you know me, every time I bring in a stand-in, Crowman comes to mind. I look at Chroman, I'm trying the first round, uh, first map against someone, I put him all of roll, and I told myself that after 12 rounds in the match, okay, I'm playing all of roll rest of the match now, because he is not able to play that. So I just put him on another side, because if you have a temporary solution, I will do everything to win in that moment. I don't care about, I, I feel more about the player, I feel bad for the player coming in, there's so much pressure on it, and, and for me, every time you take in a new player standard, you try to do everything to make him part of the team and make him so confident that you, after that you can kind of change his style, what you need him exactly what to do. But you need to give a player you bring in as a standard kind of a little lease to do whatever he wants. Because if not, I feel like he's you're scared to do mistakes, right? You're coming in, playing with Colseo Nico Rain, one of the biggest players in, in Cisco history, and they're telling you to play a passive role and you're a very aggressive player. That's never going to work. Okay, uh, let's wrap the questions up for now. We'll come back to more with Carrigan once we get to playtime because I think we have a bit to cover within the recent news. Let's roll that bumper, Lucas, and get... All right, we're going to get into the recent news. Carrigan, we, we have to talk about something right now. People want to know about the lamp. What's going on with the lamp in the cage? I'm tired of the lamp, so I put it in a cage, so yeah. I can't turn it in the, uh, in the night, you know? I okay. hate nights in the night, so it is uh, prison. I'm sorry if you All guys right. are That's... feeling a little awkward about but it. But they really want it to be free. Like, <laughs> the chat really wants it free. That's is that a, a possibility? It's, not, for, like... it's not possible. I can do it now. 
right. Well, we'll we'll leave the lamp chained on up right now. We'll, we'll, uh... I can do it like this. all right let's get stuck into the recent news um so we'll kick it off talking about the north american teams uh potentially having a trip to europe for the tail end of the year now for those people who aren't too aware we still have another blast event um there was rumors that flashpoint wanted to run their tournament offline as well uh and then we obviously have uh, esl announcing their iem global challenge within like the last week of play in i think it's like the 15th to the 20th of december or something like that which is also meant to be on land um now the more north american teams in question uh, i would say that we're looking at the egs the liquids the furious uh of the world here right striker so with those, that might be I think are in the discussion too. Okay, well, they don't, they don't with, have a roster, so yeah. I, I I don't I'm not going to talk about a team without a roster, so they can fuck off. Um, I mean, they have to have a roster by Flashpoint, which we expect to happen in like a month or something. And CSPPA so. was also meant to have a ranking for Flashpoint, and they can't fucking Fair. do that either. So if we're going to like you know Christmas is coming too. So at, at, <laughs> at this point, right with the with the world as the way it is, striker, and and you being a man who keeps his finger on the pulse of COVID, I have no idea if you do. What do you think no. the likelihood of this type of a maneuver for North American teams is? I, I don't see why not, to be honest. Like we've seen, we've seen North America, obviously like t- times are changing a little bit again, but we've seen MIBR be able to make it here. And uh, and I think more teams will be able to follow. It's just the question of whether whether they want to take the risk and, and, and potentially get stuck here for a while, right? Because we saw people like Obo, you know, I don't know if you saw that interview that we did, I think it was just released yeah. yesterday. It was pretty clear that he didn't want to get stuck in, in, in the UK for, for God knows how long more. Uh, and that's why he kind of made that snap decision to leave a little bit earlier than he expected. So it, it's just down to whether they want to take that risk and, and are okay with potentially staying in Europe for longer than t- anticipated. So just thinking about that from, from your perspective, Finn, you obviously did some travel recently, as you were talking about, for that boot camp. Uh, now, it's a little bit easier to travel within Europe right now. But how different of a travel experience was it for you guys going uh, to, to Germany? I mean, we did it in a period where the COVID was not going up, right? It was going down uh, after, I think it was in August, uh, end of August. It was not, it was kind of stable in Europe. You say everybody had like the amount you would have to not go in quarantine and stuff like that. So for me, it was fine, but it was different. Like the airport is like a ghost, you know, everything is more precautionary. Every time you go out and eat in Germany, you had to write your phone number down in case somebody got sick. Uh, All that kind of stuff was different, but I was not scared. Um, One thing is now we wanted to kind of uh, boot camp for the Pro League uh, playoffs. That was not possible. I suddenly got a quarantine from the region I'm coming from in Germany that if I traveled, I had to stay there 14 days not moving around and being the hotel, right? So it is different now because of all the COVID numbers is going up again. So I would say right now it doesn't make sense for land uh, because there's some lands can be, some countries can be banned from traveling to other countries, right? So if the Europe has a stable overall line, I'll be fine with it. But again, we also had the problem with Voxic, right? He's not part of Europe. So he was in Turkey and could not get to uh, Europe, even though it was fine in Europe. but yeah, so I think right now it does make sense, but it might change again in two months. But within the next four weeks, I don't see it possible at any point to to make a land. 
So going with this, Prof, do you think if teams are able to, to try and make, if they do choose to make this move, that they're almost saying that they are potentially happy to stay in Europe over Christmas and New Year's? I, I guess that is the thing. I mean, that is legit one of, a, one of the scenarios they have to face that can happen. So interesting considering like, what players have been complaining about for the, for the whole year if that this is something they are kind of okay with doing when they're not okay with waking up for 10 a.m matches and playing 10 a.m right so uh, for me that just feels kind of kind of ridiculous where where the lines are put but of course not always the same players and everything like that yeah maybe the most uh, interesting part from this news was like the team names that were thrown it was like blast blast was heading the thing so it was uh liquid eg uh hundred thieves and mibr as the fourth team i just found that interesting because they have two players now so that's not really a team and yeah. Fury is not on the list so it would really suck if this happened and if Fury wasn't one of the teams that that was able to make the make the trip right Sure. We want to get Fury over here to see if we can uh, get that type of form they've been showing online on land against the Europeans, right? Because I think one of the biggest things, and if I was a North American player in these teams right now, uh, and I've competed in North America before, and I know what it's like when you travel over to Europe, there's an initial shock. Once you get into Europe, those little fucking wide peaks that you'd go for, or you wouldn't jiggle a corner, or, well, it wasn't such so prevalent when I was playing, but in the sense of you couldn't get away with the same level of mistakes, right? The Europeans, they punish you a lot harder. It's where the highest caliber of Counter-Strike is played. And I would, if I was EG or Furia, I'd be running with those two names. At the moment, I don't think Liquid are in the conversation. Um, and then uh, 100 Thieves as well, probably not in the conversation either. Uh, but those two, EG and Furia, if they could get on over and they were happy, because for Furia anyway, they're away from home regardless, right? You think about what they're doing. They're living in Florida. They're not even close to their family back there in, uh, in, in Brazil. And for EG, these guys, most of them North American, besides Zeus, who's in Brazil, and obviously Cirque, who's, you know, Bulgarian. But if they make that play and they go to Europe, then they've already had the lion's share of 2020 at home. Um, so maybe they would be willing to sacrifice the family time that probably is not going to happen over Christmas anyway. Like, I don't think too many people are going to be able to move around that much to get to family gatherings and travel is going to be restricted in that regard anyway. So I don't know. To, to get the level of Counter-Strike up to where it needs to be, maybe, but I don't know. Like, obviously, we have the whole health risk thing coming into play, which we need to keep in mind. At least a lot less people are dying. Like, if we're going to look at the numbers in that way, like, less people are dying. So that's a positive thing. I didn't think I'd be talking about actual death on this fucking podcast again. Anyway, um, so, yeah, let's just put a pin in that before we get too depressed about COVID. Um, so if it happens, it'd be great. I would really like to see EG and Furia. If not, understand, safety first. You know all that fucking stuff. Let's move forward um, to this floppy to join EUC9. Now, is this just a rumor? Because I'm having a hard time reading the news every day and talking about Counter-Strike and trying not to lose my mind. Is this a report? Just a, okay, so this is another one of these reports where I'm sure there's probably a little bit behind it. Um, I thought the initial discussions was Floppy wanted to stay with the boys, right, uh, Striker? Yeah, I mean, but I think the JT said that both Floppy and OC were, were getting some, uh, um, some offers from other teams, but they claimed that they wanted to stick together. Obviously, you know, 
things, I guess things change. Maybe people aren't that interested in the current Cloud9 team. Maybe they're, they're not, uh, they don't really have an organization that's uh, that's going to buy them out of Cloud9 or whatever the situation is there. So maybe Floppy is just not feeling secure anymore that much. So things changed and he, he changed his mind. That's at least that's how I would see it anyway. Yeah, it's one of those decisions where you're definitely going to have an upgrade in the term of the terms of teammates you've got around you, right? Like yeah. if you get an opportunity to to play with Woxic, obviously Carrigan was just speaking earlier about how good of an Opry he is, um, and coming in as well, Alex. Sure, he was playing with with some of French, the, the the best French players of all time, right? So there's a lot of experience there that he could be learning from. But uh, Carrigan, have you watched much of Floppy with that Cloud Nine roster? Probably not on your radar, right? Not really, but I kind of saw he had really good statistics. I think it was before Katowicz. I kind yeah. of uh, yeah. first realized his name. I think he was also playing Cloud9 at that point. I don't remember, but the name says me something from back then before Katowicz. And obviously, he keep performing good online. Um, so definitely a guy to watch out. Uh, I have no idea what kind of style he plays and also if he needs to be set up to have those uh, good numbers, right? That's up to the in-game leader in, in Cloud9 and also the management to kind of know what his circumstances has to be for him to perform at his best, right? Because every player who's performing really high level, like Simple Saivu, needs some conditions to be able to perform and put up those numbers. So, um, so hard to really say something about Floppy for, for my side. Do you think this is too much of a risk prof in the sense of they've already ha have Mezzi, uh, who is, l let's say, untested at this level? And I, I, you could definitely argue Floppy is in that same boat, considering the majority of the Counter-Strike he has played is in the realms of, and I mean, no disrespect here, but the, the, the lower rungs of North America. Yeah, I mean, he is, he now has more experience. He's on a higher level, but still on a lower level than, I don't know, the, the mouse sports players or whatever. So he is somewhere there. He all, is also one of the players that played like 10 seasons of MDL, I think, before getting to Pro League. So congratulations on making it. That That's, a, that's an achievement after be struggling for so many years. But the thing is, uh, when you look at the lineup, I feel like it, it lacks, like, the way it was announced, the Colossus, Cloud9, all of that, you pick up Alex, you pick up Woxic, okay. But then you have Mez, you have Floppy, and then the fifth is still unknown. I think the question is like, who would the fifth need to be for this to be a, like a top 10 lineup in like six months or a year or whatever. I think when you look at it from that perspective, the last signing needs to be like a baller of, of some sort. Like sorts, a top right? 20 player, yeah, I yeah. agree. So, so what names are you thinking of then uh, in, in that case, Striker? If it has to be a top 20 player, who do you think, even if we're poaching, even if we're taking players, who do you think would fit that roster? I mean, there would be there would be one very obvious one that's, I, I imagine it's not going to happen, but that'll be Rops. <laughs> Ain't happening. Because that... that <laughs> But that's 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 honestly, I feel like that would be probably like the best player to run this off, to be honest. But uh, you also have like people like uh, JKS who would also be a, a very good addition. It's kind of a like a similar player to to Rops as well, kind of the same role that they're looking for. So I think either one of those two would make me feel like this Cloud Nine roster can go somewhere big relatively quickly, right? If it's not somebody like that, I don't. I'm not 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 sure. I'm probably going to be as skeptical as uh, as Prof about this. But yeah, also, I have, I, I have the feeling it. that uh, this, when Cloud9 comes out, I, I feel like everybody's kind of 
also at the same time restructuring the team. So I can imagine the price of all the players right now are ex expensive as never before. That's only imagination because you see D2 report trying to get Nico, right? So Face has to get out and get someone. Cloud9 has to get someone. Complexity has to get someone. So everybody is out trying to see who they can get. And I can only imagine the more people ask, the higher the price gets. Like everybody knows yeah. if the if how economy works, right? So I feel like it's it's a very very difficult time that Cloud9 has to build a completely new roster. Um, so I can imagine they're taking in these players for a free three months trial, see how it goes. Maybe a player gets available end of the year, right? Because that would be the clever move to do. You kind of announce you want to be the big dog, but sometimes the opportunity doesn't arise, and you have to wait until it comes to to the hands where they can get a player because he's benched. The price is way below than if you have to buy him out of a, a situation where the team has to go out and buy a new one, right? So if they're clever, yes, they are saying they want to be the big dogs. They have two good signs in Vox and Alex name-wise. And if they have Messi and Floppy and they maybe get a, a fifth guy who's a little like, oh, maybe he could bring it back, a little older player, maybe with some experience. And you kind of have these, okay, you have Voxing and uh, Alex safe, but you gifted Floppy and the Messi six, uh, three to six months. You see one guy is doing it, one guy isn't. Okay, let's find a new guy and what exactly do you need of that role? Because right now it's hard for me to say who they're going to pick because I have no idea about the Messi role and I have no idea about the Floppy role, right? So they have three, they have roles open in lineup. They just need a top rifler who fits the entry role or the the lurk role like you strapped with Rops, right? Because you need a Rops in everybody's team who is doing the passive things and never doing mistakes. Yeah. So I think that's the way they have to go with the lineup. I think Floppy is there for the, for the entry and Mezzi is kind of like undecided at this point depending on the last player. That's that's okay. how I'd assume it at least based on watching uh, both players play. But Floppy is definitely an aggressive player who I would expect to be to has, be somewhere at the front. He has really good stats to be the first guy into a site. Yeah, so he has to be true. this second or third guy in because that's like you're talking art scenario then, because yeah. art is a really aggressive player with high stats, but I haven't seen Interfragger posting those kind of numbers. Yeah, that's fair enough. I, I think when you look at this, Floppy, I don't know if when they add him to the roster, if they'll re-sign him or like give him like an extended contract, because he already has a Cloud9 contract, right? So it's not a player that they have to purchase, which could play into what you were just saying there, Finn, in the sense of wait and see, right? Let's say they do sign a, a very decent, solid rifler um, in this in this last slot, and then Floppy can kind of be left in limbo if they want to change him out and upgrade firepower. Right, that could be something they could do if then if they don't re-sign him, right? If they just keep him on whatever contracts he's on, they might be able to upgrade him if shit's not going very well. And and that could be an option. And I think it's interesting what you posed as well about these other teams who need players like Complexity at the moment. I think Complexity would be another team, and, and yeah, obviously it's not going to happen. Would be another team who um like would really would benefit from like a Rops type of player right now because Obo, sure, you know, he's quite aggressive, fantastic aim. But I was thinking about a lot of the CT side of positions that he plays, and he's like the solo anchor. If you get like a solid rifler in that in that slot for complexity, like a JKS, like a Rop, something like that, that team is going to fucking go off because uh, they put Obo in a lot of positions where he needed a lot of experience. Uh, uh, if you're being honest, like the ramp uh, holder, you had uh, B on Vertigo as well. You know all those solo positions. So yeah, a, a lot going on right now in the Counter Strike world. Uh, what was the next news topic we had up here? Oh, oh, oh. Let's keep her moving. We're going to talk about. Some fucking turncoats, ladies and gentlemen. No, I don't care. They, anyway, uh, Chet, uh, I'm a pet, Som and Daps uh, are leaving Counter-Strike and going to Valorant. 
Who would have thought, right, striker? <laughs> I feel like I still feel like you had some you had some no, behind it, the scenes it, information. None. I do not believe that you just called that out. Just from nowhere. Twitter, just from the tweets. Right? I do not believe that. No, because you look. Here's what you have to do with North America. First of all, you have to look at who they're talking to, who they're being buddy buddy with, all that kind of stuff, and then how much time they're putting into those tweets, right? So if they're talking about Valorant every couple of days, then guess what? They're probably going to fucking Valorant. There's a couple of other names there, I would say, within some more top tier North American teams who are probably considering that move as well. I don't want to throw any more names out there, but there's a couple on the tip of my tongue. I'm not. Uh, no, 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 no. We'll we'll, we'll keep it now because I the, the the EG one. I think the CEO of EG came out and said that's not happening. Even though I have more information in recent times that things aren't monkey dory over there. Um, but this move right Wouldn't now. Wouldn't be a CEO to not deny like the obvious news. So yeah. look, not not I, in this case. I hope obvious, I'm wrong. In general, I hope I'm wrong. I hope EG stay with Counter Strike. But um, what do we think about this? Like Daps makes sense because he had the ability to weigh up his decisions. But some um striker felt like an individual who was starting to make some waves in that genji team yeah for sure i but hard to say i really don't know some so it's just difficult to say if he's like good friends with uh with all those guys and just potentially sees a future there it's just it's hard for me to tell honestly well it's it's rumored that the look this is gonna get clipped but whatever this is the story of talking online um it's rumored that some of the money that's being thrown around is like Twenty thousand plus uh, for Valorant players at the moment, right? And I was—I'm being a little bit modest with that, right? Um, so w- when you consider that, when you consider the amount of money that's being thrown around to be a Valorant pro, and you're in a new game where you know that the developer is going to get behind the game eventually, if you can establish yourself as a household name within the early stages, there's a bunch of new fan bases out there that are going to be lapping it on up for the easy mode version of the FPS we play. Um, and like th- that seems, like, especially for a younger player like Som, a great opportunity to become a household name within that game. Do you, do you think that's something uh, that might entice him, Prof? Jesus Christ like how how is that how does that make sense but nothing the, makes sense and nothing the, makes sense it's, it's the classic it's the classic it's just like inflate everything to insane numbers and that's it i mean of course i do i do it as well if, if that's the number like there's no point especially in na in like the third fourth fifth best team in na to stick around for a scene that you don't even know who you're going to be playing in practice two months from now because everyone's leaving in a league that i don't know what the future is because genji is a flashpoint team as well so first season of course was fucked by covid and no lands and everything but you have no idea where that's going to develop so you're stuck there or go over here where you know most of the players anyway are the same players you played cs with six months ago so why the hell not again is in big, big trouble with uh with all these things just also, because... also remember this: like they can always do un un retirement and come back to CS yeah. in a year if if their Valorant thing falls apart. Like no one is stopping them from doing that. I mean, fucking Zels has did it two times already. So yeah, but, <laughs> but it's, just... it is going to stump stump an A for sure, at least first for some time, just because of the sheer amount of really young players that have already made the switch. Yeah. So it's it's definitely going to make a difference, especially with like you said, if if the top teams in in NA. Um, let's say COVID doesn't really improve and the top teams in NA say, well, fuck it. Like, what are we doing here? Like, there's nothing. We can't play each other for the next year again. So they're probably going to just go to to Europe. Pro League is just going to probably get completely, like, uh, put into one region. 
may perhaps play play on land in, in the in the next one. So it's just for for some of these players, I I totally get it, I understand, but it is gonna fucking a in the in the long term for sure. Ben, I know that you've obviously been super busy as of late with, with all the tournaments going on and the extra prep that you've been having to do. But um, have you heard any of, of these rumors about Valorant? I know in Europe, it's not such a big deal. Um, the Europe's always been a Counter-Strike place, and I'm not really worried about Valorant taking too many European pros, especially the good ones. But have you heard much from the North American side? Um, not at all, but I think it makes sense, right? Valorant teams or who wants to invest in Valorant is doing the exactly think that makes sense try to get as money cisco pro should have as many fans i have try to get a nitro guy try to get a mixed guy try to get these kind of players that will then make the younger players like a sum in this scenario who doesn't maybe see a future in cisco or maybe he feels like he needs a two or three years to get at the level of liquid or something you know like like this way and he sees maybe a shock or in valorant where he can maybe triple up his money in salary uh from day one um, so they're doing the right thing, signing the big names of big fan bases and overpaying them. But it doesn't make sense, right? If 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 what you're saying, the salary starting twenty five k, it's never gonna last there. It's only to get players on the other side, and then once let's say Cisco and Valorant split up, the money in everywhere in Cisco and Valorant is all dropping because either you and Valorant or you Cisco, you can't have kind of both teams in the long run because they're gonna compete against each other in that FPS uh, genre, right? So right now they're doing the right thing, but I don't see any European players going right now. But if the NAC dies uh, and they take all the young players, like you're saying, it will hurt them in one or two years that there are no young upcoming player. Let's say a guy like Floppy, he comes in C9, he tries six months, doesn't work out, he goes Valorant. Suddenly you lose an a upcoming player in, in NA because he doesn't really get the chance, right? And also... As an NA player, it's not often you get a chance. There's not so many opportunities. There's the four big dogs, right? The Hunter Thieves, EG, and then there's Liquid, and I'm forgetting one. Uh, Furia? Well, I guess yeah, Furia the... is a Brazilian, right? So that yeah. doesn't really make sense. Uh, but we got Genji in the mix there. Genji. Yeah, that's yeah. what I mean. Like these players in Genji, right? That's right. If <laughs> it would make sense at any point if Liquid EG is asking them, they would leave for that team, right? Uh, when you're looking at how they're performing. Maybe they could be the next third best team in, in the North America of those two or those three. But it doesn't make sense right now as a young player in NA if you're getting the triple salary in Valorant and you're just trying that off. And you can always come back. If the game dies in half a year, uh, a year you can always uh, go back to CSGO. But you can never go back to Valorant. For every day you are not going to Valorant and you might want to change, Every day you lose an advantage because everybody else is grinding their ass off on that map, uh, that uh, game. I think the curious one out of the mix here, because obviously Daps can go over and he's going to be very, very serviceable as a player in that game, right? Uh, I don't, this is no disrespect. I played the game a little bit. Um, the models and, and the, the speed at which they run and how the heads explode like watermelons reminded me of Source, right? It reminded me of, of, of how... I don't want to say much easier, but it was. It was easier than 1.6. Uh, it, it was to to get headshots and stuff in a game like that. And um, so for, for Daps, whose mechanical ability probably came into question a little bit within CSGO, I think that he is going to be more than serviceable in, in a game like Valorant. But the one that I don't understand here, Striker, and I know that you have a decent relationship with this gentleman, is, is Chet potentially coaching. Now, what the fuck is there to coach at the moment in, their, in that game? Yeah. I mean, it's... 
it's difficult to say what kind of a, if that's even a coaching um, coaching job or is it just like a GM type thing where he just wants to put those really? players together. It's also one of those um, could also be one of those roles. Um, I wouldn't be I just wouldn't be surprised if Chet got fed up with CS a little bit over this over this period, especially with Hundred Thieves not you know improving to the level of where you you'd want them and and probably not getting the 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 changes in the lineup that he would potentially want to do. So it's just like a combination of those things, I think, make him make him want to um, switch over. Yeah, and he's still very young, right? Chet's only uh, like twenty four, something like it? that. I thought he was younger than that. Maybe even younger. Yeah. Let me have a look here. Oh wait, he's not on Hedge Table. Twenty four, he is. Yeah. Okay, I thought he was younger than that. Never mind. Um, still a young. He's guy. still the youngest, the youngest coach in the top. Yeah. By, by I think by quite a lot. And and also it's another one of those things, right? If he's an established Counter Strike name moving over, he's going to be able to net himself a decent chunk of cash to do that. Obviously, it's not all about the money, guys. It's not all about the money, but uh, making those moves in a region that is is floundering right now, or if he thinks that things are up with a hundred thieves and they're not going to, you know, have that roster for much longer, or whatever's going on over there, who knows? Um, maybe maybe he's just trying to bail off of that ship. Now, this isn't a Valorant podcast, so we're not going to hang around on that topic for too long. We're going to continue forward to everybody's favorite drama. To everybody's favorite bullshit. So in between complaining about best of fives, 10 a.m. wake up times, um, you know, fucking all of that bullshit, uh, we, we also had the coaching scenario go down. And um, oh, here we go. Um, there's a bunch of coaches who have been kept um, on the payroll for these teams. Um and they have been moved to analyst positions within within these rosters. Um, Hunden's one of them. Twister's another. Uh, Starix is, is one of those names as well. Um, now, uh, I think Yanko made some tweets earlier in the week. Uh, and, and I'm going to be honest with everybody. I haven't paid much mind to this because, to me, we obviously had Ian Smith on the show. He explained uh, the reasoning behind the bands, the length of the bands in great detail, uh, the standpoint from uh, ESIC on those bands uh, and what it kind of means. And and then we ended up kind of having, and this isn't directed at Yanko, this is obviously directed down the line at, at players slinging shit against each other online, like accusing them of things that uh, we can't prove anyway and, and, and all of this going on. Um, there seems to be a little bit of... Uh, reluctancy or question marks around why these coaches have been able to retain any job whatsoever after bringing the game into disrepute um prof with that in mind do you maybe have an answer on on the side of of why they're being kept even though what they did uh has such a negative connotation about it i mean i can talk about the the ruling and the punishment side i think that makes more sense and just think about it it's easy to to say like they weren't punished enough i can agree to a to a degree with that i think that that's a reasonable thing to say but the issue is like how do you punish them more how can you actually do that is there like what do these people want we can make a ruling that they can't be employed or they can't do anything but you can't actually check for most of these things and you can't actually deny employment to someone because of an abuse of a bug like that cannot be done and then if you want to say you can't be an analyst for a team you can't actually check that and then you're just making a rule that can be walked around like like the meme with the with the gate and the vac thing if everyone knows that just like it's a small gate but everything around it is open so you can just go and do analyst work in the background that no one can know so it's it's pointless to make a ruling like that that you can't enforce so 
then you can start thinking about how, how you can do it. I'm not really sure that there is a better way to enforce a rule like this than through tournaments, because ESIC isn't partnered with teams, they're partnered with tournaments. So the tournaments can only enforce these coaches not being in the server or not participating in the vetoes and stuff like that. That's the only thing that they can do. Then the responsibility lies on the teams for, let's say, morality or whatever the fuck to guide them in their actions, right? They need to decide if this was big enough or if this was bad enough to do this or that. And then, of course, the public reaction is going to sway their opinion there as well. So that's my take. Yeah, and with this right here, you look at you you look at going forward. What would it do by removing these? Like, if it was a Valve ban, if Valve come out tomorrow and say, "Hey guys, uh, we're going to treat these guys the same way we did I buy Power. Um, they're banned for life. We'll never be revoking that. Uh, this is done. Get the fuck out." Like, I, we all think right that the, the I buy Power guys have been pretty hard done by. Right? I think that the fact that their, their ban is a lifetime ban. Is, is wild. So do we want to do the same thing to these individuals and, and just completely remove them? Even like Steel was after a period of time able to play again within tournaments that weren't Valve events, right? So no one is questioning whether what these guys did was right. We all know it was wrong, um, but the, the, just the, they, they've, they've been removed from that position of power now where they could exploit something again. And all they can do is watch the demos, prepare their team with strategies, give them information, um, you know, going into games. I, I don't know uh, about you, Finn, and obviously it's a little bit closer to home for the mouse sports guys, but what, what do you think about people calling for these guys not to be involved at all? I think it's an ethical question, right? Um, we had the same issue with uh, Legend, obviously. Um, he got suspended as soon as we knew about it because I think that's the right decision to do. Suspend him as soon as possible, not having anything to do with him. I'm going to take care of all the coaching duties while I'm playing. Um, but um, it comes down to if you're going to keep it or not, right? I feel like there's some instances uh, with the coach where it could make sense. If he had a three months, he did a one round like a Ruga thing, right? He did one round. It was a fast decision. It was one round, right? But then you have other coaches doing it for a whole map or 10 rounds in a row. And that's where I start to question the ethical thing about it, right? Because at that moment, you are kind of abusing to a large distinct, right? The other guy was one round. I feel at that moment, you have to take it case by case. But as an organization, this is so dangerous to keep your coach. I mean, it backfires so much, right? We have still nothing to do with Alan. Um, not exactly sure what's going to happen. That's not part of my job. I'm going to get known. It's an organization decision about the sponsors, about everything, right? So him suspended um, is what it is. And I don't think um, it makes sense for him to come back with the with the length of a ban he had and doing anything for most spots. That's not my uh, place to say or job to say, but it's an uh, organization point of view of what it makes sense, right? But the other organization, they must have cleared it with their sponsors because something like this comes up in the news. It comes back at the sponsors in some way that you're supporting somebody who abused the bug and knew it was wrong and beat another team, right? So um, I hope the organization have that done that because else they're gonna get a backfire in the in the sponsor deals they have. Um, but I still think personally it's unethical to let the coach who did something illegal to be kind of the role model for the team. Mm. Um, 
I think that is uh, unethical. Yes, when you're done with your punishment, I think it's fair you come back and do your job because now you have lived out the situation, right? Right now, um, you take the hyper power example, right? I mean, if, if we had the best coach in the world and he got banned, but only two terms he can't play as the major, I'm like, screw it. I'm still going to keep him because yeah. he's going to do a lot more work uh, doing the practice, doing the preparation, that's where you use your coach. Like I would say, for my experience, I use my coach 10% in the server, 5-10%. If it goes bad, if it goes good, he doesn't really come in with ideas. Once it goes bad, he might have a call here and there that's going to change around the momentum and improve the team. But all the work a coach does is before the games and doing practices. This is where you get the impact from the coach. The in-game leader gets the most impact in the official games coach before that and therefore i feel like banning a coach you just remove like one of his 10 fingers how to improve the team and yeah. that i feel is is very ethical question right how you're gonna cheat us as a players is a, does the player forgive him or do they not how is the organization there's a lot of question marks where i feel like it's hard to not answer it by case by case uh, yeah. of the coach scenario well I, I agree i agree with that i just i just think it's it comes down to whether you have a different gauge on E6 ruling, right? But whether yeah. you think that that was uh, too harsh or whether they didn't take certain things into consideration, like, you know, in the Gary case, whether he was actually, you know, looking at the at the match. In some of these cases where there's at least some reasonable doubt as to whether they actually used it to any sort of advantage, I can see how the organizations would think, okay, we, we believe him, E6, okay, he's got a ban, we can't really do anything about it, but he can work with us. Um, we don't think he's done anything that bad. So in those cases, I definitely agree that I don't, I feel like, or at least I can see why organizations have kept these people, right? But in cases like, like a Hunden, like a Regin, where it was pretty clear that they were aware of it and used it like multiple times over, I do agree that, that in those cases, it's pretty, it's, uh, it's definitely weird for, for organizations to, to keep them in, a, in any sort of capacity because it's just, like Kerrigan said, it's, it's not even just the, the morality thing, it's just how it comes comes back on you from a from a public relations perspective, from a sponsor's perspective, everything like that. As the heroic case is the best example, right? Yeah. Who did it against Astralis? Danish team, Danish organization, you're turning the whole Danish fan base against heroic by yep. keeping Hun. If you if you would throw Hunten under the bus and say that's not good, then at least you get the respect of the Stratus fans who can still cheer for Heroic every time they play. Every time Heroic playing, Danish fans will scream for that scenario. They're only doing it because they had Hunden. He's a great coach, but he cheated. Like, there's... I don't go into details, but the the relationship with the Danish fans, I can imagine, is now Heroic versus Stratus. And it's not about the, how good the teams are. It's about what Heroic did wrong. You're not talking about Danish news about Heroic being number two, pressuring Astralis. There's not really a rivalry there. It's only about the players not liking each other anymore and all the fan bands is turning each other. It's not the storyline in the game itself anymore. It's outside the game. And I feel that's very sad for the Heroic players because they have been proven to be good players. They have done a really great job lately. But this scenario with Kim Ming Hun is taking some of their... Uh, good public relations they have created over the last few months. And I feel bad for them because they're hardworking. So just taking a look at the, the bans right now, I guess the high-profile ones is Hunden was banned for eight months, which is, uh, I suppose, pretty substantial because that's going to take us well and truly into, into 2021 uh, before he would be able to step back in there. But th this is the thing, right? 
is what we're what we're saying here is okay they what they did in certain cases like twister's banned for almost 16 months right that's a long period of time for ends to keep him as an analyst for that long right that that feels like well, obviously they've retitled it to analyst and they'll bring like a cheerleader in or something but uh, that right there is 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 a long ban like that's double hunden's ban and then you've obviously got we mentioned raga there who's basically four months um his his was from years ago as well, right? Wasn't his from like, it was 20... like four four years ago? Yeah. Yeah. So like this is when you're saying case by case. If you bring that into the mix, now sure, obviously it's still bad that it happened at any point in time. Um, but it was Look, just in one Ruggles round. Case, I think it's just exactly in Ruggles yeah. case. It was literally one round where he, they even lost the round, and it was the pistol round. So there's no economic advantage. There's literally no advantage that he that he got from that. Maybe maybe somebody got a kill based on some sort of. But obviously, like in the grand scheme of things, that that's absolutely nothing. And he clearly got out of it and never used it again. So in that case, like ob- obviously OG are gonna keep him. That's just again comes down to how you how you gauge that's, against these six uh, things ruling. That's exactly my point as well, right? I remember the situation. Uh, oh, I got called by by Robin with the situation that he had a coach buck with us losing sixteen one. And what he yeah. told me, I can't remember anything about it, but he told me basically he was told by the players to write admins and mute himself because nobody plays one advantage. And I had one frag. I wish he would have helped me a little bit, maybe. <laughs> anyway, when he got banned now, but uh, that's obviously a case as well where you have to take consideration in, in what degree it's done. And you are able to see movement on the maps if the code's helped or not. I don't want to go into specific cages, but it's obvious. It's not like it, it doesn't take a, a a bright CSGO mind to kind of put the dots together if it was abused fully completely. If the players are aware or not, you have no idea. The coach could have said, this looks like a B execute that did in the demo. Or he could just say, it's B, I saw it in, I saw it in, the, in the coach book, you know? You will never know that. And that's why we should not question the players in that regard, because we can never know exactly what happened. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah, because I feel like the Roy case compared to hard legion i feel i think there's a hundred percent difference i don't know if you saw the dust two clip that makes zero sense in my in my brain how the coaches say i teaspoon should be clear push right i'm not gonna blame <laughs> people or whatever but that looks very strange to me i'm gonna be obvious about that but the hooden case i don't know exactly if he told his teammates i i know the intrinsicity of some of the players would they say yeah yeah just tell us where they're going you kind of know as a top player, you don't want to win against Australia. It's unfair. I, I, I can't see it that way. But if your coach is saying, "I this looks like a B execute," you don't know if he actually said that, Coach Brock, right? Sure. So uh, I think we should leave some of the players alone in that in in that sense. That if you don't have really compelling information that I only feel I've seen once, um, then let the players be alone because you don't know if the coach actually said. The way I'm wording it, is it be execute or 100% safe info? This is the thing, right, Prof? And, and I don't know how you felt about the other day when there was a bit of the, the mudslinging match going on, on online. Um, but that right there is very dangerous to do, right? Because I, I tweeted at the time, those in, in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. If you're going to put yourself on a on a moral high ground of superiority, you better not fuck up at any point along the journey, right? Because if, I don't know, uh, there's certain things which other people think are, are egregious, like trying to use a crowd to your advantage, um, that some people might go, well, where's the integrity there? Or some people might go, oh, they're using, they're playing to their environment, right? Like, um, that's obviously difference in terms of actually having somebody cheat with what is essentially 
being able to see through the walls. Um, but there's there's certain things there that you need to just be careful with. And I think the players going around and doing that, and it's, it's similar to when Fallen incited the mob against Furia in my mind a little bit, right? Because these fan bases, they are very um, fanatical. They, they don't say they, their bias comes first and they will just grab whatever their favorite player or their favorite team says and, and run with it, right? And look, I, I don't know about you, Prof. So I'm going to send this question your way, obviously. But, but doing that from my perspective just felt unnecessary. Uh, we are obviously talking about the the glaive versus Katie and mo most mostly drama on Twitter, right? Yeah, that, like I get it. You feel like you cheated, and you kind of want to you kind of want to talk about it and, and bring it up. But it's one of those things where, like Kagan was just saying, it's very difficult to have one hundred percent proof. I have a like a dual stance on it. Like I, I think I actually did a similar tweet to that, but like month ago or or whatever when initially the the information about Hunden cheating was announced. My thought was like, why isn't anyone from Heroic saying anything at this point? Like they weren't saying anything. If like you look at the phase case, let's say with Roban, you instantly had players from that team coming like, we didn't know anything, what the fuck? So I don't, I guess there are reasons why you would just stay silent, even if you didn't know. But I don't know if that happened to me, I think it would be logical to say like, okay, I didn't know anything about this this is awful like we don't condone this yeah i would never stand behind it so they didn't say anything they were super quiet until like the rest of the investigation went on and then a lot of coaches got banned and then they're just starting to play normally right and play nor return hunden to the to the coaching not coaching but analyst role so at that point you're like why didn't they say anything now like a month and a half passed so there, there's no like super pitchfork drama you can put out your statement like in a really nice way you can write it up so it doesn't get taken out of context or anything so i kind of agree with what glaive said there i also think the timing was kind of peculiar and i don't think it was i don't know maybe it was deliberate in a way because they were obviously going to play hero like astralis was going to play heroic the next day yeah there if they be they had to beat mouseports and then play heroic i think there is something to it as well because that definitely affected the heroic guys like mentally that that thing coming it's just the same with the, the fury of fallen situation yeah when when someone like that says something be it reasonable or unreasonable it's not going to be enjoyable for you to to and to have the crowd essentially against you right they put but a lot of by doing that tweet also put a lot of pressure on heroic right and yeah. you should in February had pressure on Astralis by not losing to heroic yeah but when I watched the match I felt it was like heroic had something to prove yeah and they should never had in that position it has to be Astralis to prove something yeah so I feel like yeah, I kind of disagree with what you're saying in in, in that sense that there can be orcs telling you not to, to participate in any of the statement because they'll be scared you say something wrong that can hurt yeah. you even though you didn't mean it that way, right? Because right now in this code situation, if you're writing something slightly off that's not a professional statement, you can get attacked from, from hundreds of fans. So these are young players and it was against Astralis, so whatever they write, they probably have some common Astralis fans, but they're more Astralis fans than Heroic fans. And if they write something that's kind of just little off, that doesn't make sense, they'll get attacked. 
and you're gonna go straight on Reddit every time you do a statement. It goes on Reddit. You're gonna go investigate. Everybody gonna go into details. What did he exactly mean with that word? So I think these young guys, especially, I feel like if they would have talked about the situation, if they knew about who not did knew about who whatever the circumstances are, they're not. People are not gonna trust them. Mm. So it- I feel like by not saying anything, they kind of took gamble, let this blow over. But then it blows up again, and they have to step in and say something, all right? In interviews in Denmark, they Kadian said something that he feels it's respectless the way that the uh, Astralis player or Glaive in this scenario has treated him right to him privately. Get, uh, they're friends, right? Everybody knows each other in Denmark. You have a problem with the other guy, write it to him instead of on a Twitter, where you put all the fan base against one guy. And I can stand Kadian at that point. I also stand Glaive's frustration, but... You have you have so responsibility when you have so you have hundred thousand followers. The second you write something, everybody's taking your party and go out attack the other guy. And you have to be really careful as a professional player. Yeah, I I think here the the more we we look into to this whole scenario, right? Wasn't there apparently heroic had the voice comms? Was it from that match? Right? Did you know? That I'm was sorry, what was just... written. That was written in the in the statement, the initial statement from uh, from heroic about Wounded's band about like two months ago or something when it came out. I think it was from that match, right? But if it was from the Astralis game, right? I, then I think that if they had the voice comp, then they said that they cleared the team of any wrongdoing from that. Like that's one thing that if heroic didn't want the drama, they could release that even just from that section of the game. Yeah. And that would help. Now, this is one of the things where if you but, said... But you, here, comes, here comes our Christian, right? But yeah. what if Fulham said, I think it's going to be B? Well, if that's the case, right? Uh, then I, I guess we go into that weird little um, Schrodinger's cat. Yeah. Dangerous. Because then if, if, if that was the case, then like you said, it doesn't take uh, the smartest Counter-Strike brain to be able to, to work out that whole situation, does it? So... Oh. Uh, but the coach would, I, I've been playing with coaches online when you can talk, he would say he can see it's going to be B, but he didn't have a coach. Program. He, he has something in the demos that tells him this is probably going to be B. Sure. And I'm yeah. 100% sure every coach is doing that nowadays because he sees something, he's going to say, if Dinkim doesn't say anything, he says stack B, you know? Yeah. And it has to be a read. He saw something on the way the team is moving. He's not going to be explaining it for five minutes. Yeah, I saw this demo where they did this and this. No, no, and now no, this no. is this. He's just going to say stack B looks, and you're going to listen. Looks like B. Yeah, that's it. Or block B or something. Throw grenades. Oh, you know? okay. That's why I feel like if that happened and they would show that, that could hurt them even more. Yeah, true. And if it didn't happen, I think they would have showed it. So my, my widely guess is that that was the case that Hoon kind of said, I think it's B. The players didn't know. Maybe they knew after. Then they found out he got banned. Oh my God, he was calling perfectly there. I don't know. Because that, for me, also doesn't make sense. Don't, don't put out the file. Yeah, look at the games. Cut out when Hoon is moving the camera, when the infos, how they're rotating, right? But it can hurt them even more if they kind of hear Hoon's, yeah, I think it's B. Well, uh, I think we'll leave it on that there because we're never going to get to the bottom of this one by the sounds of things. There's always going to be a question mark around uh, this coaching issue. I'm hoping uh, there's obviously the second release coming out from ESIC late. Was it October? October, I think. We'll we'll have to wait and see what the findings are are there. We obviously know from Ian Smith there's stuff going on with with match fixing at the moment. And uh, we've also heard about stream sniping. So lots more to come out, lots more drama to discuss before the end of the year. But let's move forward. Let's continue our little uh, conversation now. We're going to tuck on into uh, EPL.
Now it was the European finals. This uh, this week is gone. Can I just bring up something just um, while we were at the recent news? CSP page just released the the new version of their ranking. Okay. I was just reading through this. I wasn't paying attention too much in the last few minutes. No, that's fine. Uh, do you want to catch us up? Uh, it's just uh, basically they've addressed some of the issues that were very obvious in the first version, and they've just released the second one. Fury is number one. Vitality number two, EG number three, Navi number four, and number five is Heroic, blah, blah. I'm not going to read out the whole thing, but it's just from reading the the release, it just looks like they addressed at least the, the most blatant issues of the ranking. Obviously, I would need to look a little bit more into it to to, to assess it properly, but it looks like it's not it's not horrible anymore, at least. Well, I, I can see here, I'm just scrolling through it quickly. There's like uh, stuff where they're showing where the points are allocated uh based on the top 20 teams attending they've got something going on here with uh the the prize pool and they allow uh, the expanded rosters too they need to fix this though csppa if you're listening you write price pool it would be prize pool i i believe uh is what you want on your little graph there um so so maybe fix that one up there who have we got the player representatives daps fourth well they might need to fix that one right there as well Okay, maybe we'll uh, we'll dive into that that next time round. There's a couple of things they they might yeah. need to be fixing on that one, but it's uh, as long as MIBR aren't in the top ten, um, it's probably a pretty good ranking. So that's wait, where I don't think they're even the top. They probably 20. can't be ranked. They're not even in the top. Have they, that, they don't have a lineup. I don't think it's uh, there's any question that they should be anywhere. Thank you. That's all I need. That's all I need to hear. So uh, with, with that right there, it's positive. Um, we'll we'll bring that up in in uh, playtime if we have time to get around to that. But let's um, dig in right now to EPL. So we may as well start with the man here himself. It was uh, Mount Sports and Carrigan who made it all the way to fourth with uh, a, a pretty good playoffs run. Actually, a, a pretty good group stage as well, all things considered. Now, uh, you guys fell to Astralis on the Saturday uh, in, a, in a, a decent series. You know, there was the first two maps were blowout and then the third one uh, definitely delivered. Um, I don't know. What, what do you want to do? You have anything you want to touch on from, from that match, Carrigan, or at least from that, that tournament? I think, like like you guys said, uh, we kind of changed style over the course of uh, the um, the tournament, right? It was like first week was group stage, second week was off, and we had to qualify, and third week was the playoff, right? So, um, yeah, I think not much to say. We just took it game by game. Um, I would kind of say Spirit was kind of a surprising factor for me um, in our group. Kind of made it out. We had to beat Vitality in the last game, made it to playoff, and obviously lost to the two uh, teams in the final, Navi and Astralis, and yeah, I'm, I'm just proud we had chances to kind of win those games, that, because that's, those games are really tough, and we came back, we could have won against Astralis 15-14 from, was it 12-3 to 15-14, we had a chance to close on the seat side Nuke, but um, when it came to overtime, Astralis had more experience than us uh, as players and as a team, uh, as a core lineup, I would say, right, so all I think was a, a, a good run from us, um, Obviously, when it comes so far, you want to go the whole way. But if you told me top four before the tournament started with the three days practice before first game, I would say, yeah, sure, I can take that. So uh, all uh, satisfied with the result. I wouldn't mind dipping back to, to the groups for a second because you guys were uh, in group B and there were some big names in that group who didn't make it through. The four who we were missing were, uh, let's go in order of, of relevancy, uh, Vitality was one of those names. NIP was one that everybody was really excited to be seeing uh, within the Pro League. And then uh, we had FaZe and who am I forgetting? Fnatic. Fnatic as well. So uh, put Fnatic above FaZe. Um, but those three names, Finn, what do you think went wrong with, with those guys? I think G2 as well. G2 is in group A though. 
Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, but you're right. They were the other big name that were missing from the playoffs because we had uh, Ants, we had Big, obviously names that, you know, who have, who have Big has been performing well for this year, but Ants is one that wasn't particularly. Um, what, what do you think went wrong with some of the bigger names, Finn? I don't know. Maybe some of the bigger names were too deep in Cologne. I think Pro League started right after Cologne, right? Yes. Cologne ended Sunday and Pro League started Tuesday, Wednesday. So maybe some of those teams were so deep in that tournament that they didn't really get to reset probably for the for the next upcoming matches, right? Because in theory, you only have to win four games out of seven, right? And you look at a group and everybody should be possible to get four match wins uh, when you talk about these uh, names, right? So I don't know, we played Fnatic and FaZe to begin with, and I think we won 2-0 both times. Um, maybe we catch them off guard or something, maybe they underestimated us, and suddenly you're looking at a a loss you shouldn't have had, and then Spirit surprising. And I think like this is the surprise of Spirit kind of made the group really tough. Because we look at all the other names we played, Complexity was wrecking everyone uh, until we beat them, I think that 5-0 or something like that. So they had a really good run in the group stage in the beginning. Yeah, and I just feel like if you're 0-2 or 0-3 in the group stage, there's a far way back if you have to make four wins, right? So maybe some of those teams were under huge pressure when it came to game third and somehow lost to Spirit uh, or, or something. So yeah, I, I feel like the pressure maybe have got to some of the teams looking at the, the beginning of the results where we beat Fnatic and, and uh, FaZe where everybody expects us to lose, right? We should have been 0-2 in people's mind from uh, from that group stage from beginning and suddenly we're 2-0. And that puts a lot of pressure uh, on other teams, I think. I think that's the only thing I can remember from the beginning. I suppose while we're on, on this topic, um, what do you feel? Because uh, one of the problems that, that I have from, from where I sit is we go in from, oh, at the moment, we're obviously back-to-back tournaments and all that. But if things were a little bit more spread out, um, and hopefully that's looking that way next year if teams can be more selective with their events. But what what do you feel about the, the format that was run there and the idea that it seems like from a lot of people, they feel like the same format should be run at every event. Do you think it's cool to have different formats for, for different tournaments? I think it's cool. Um, I think it's good to change it. I, I remember when we had Swiss system one tournament, we had another system, another tournament. It made the more excitement of the tournament and not always having the same, not always based off seeds, because if you have four groups with four teams, if you have bad seed, you're going to get a really tough matchup. If you have a Swiss system, you might get a tough matchup, but if you win it, you might get an easier one. So I think by switching up the, the thing is pretty good. Uh, I would say the, the, the one-week break is maybe a little too long. I would say one week. Maybe you have three days. It still kind of feels like the same tournament, right? Because we played the qualifier uh, in between four yeah. or five days. And when we came back to Pro League, it felt like a new tournament, to be honest. It, it felt like not like now we're in playoff, now it's time to perform, now this is where the big dogs are, everybody's out of groups. That felt like a new tournament. And I'm not sure if other people had the same way, but if you put a three days gap, it makes players able to rest, maybe, or practice one or two days, you know? So mm. by having one week, you kind of force the players, well, we can't take too much off because we have to perform in one week. Um, and hold that week, you need to kind of prepare for the games uh, coming up. So I, I think uh, that idea is good. 
but maybe one week is too far, but also maybe the one week was placed there for the other qualifier to happen because of all the conflicting, right? So uh, what am I to say about the schedule? But I'm just saying if it is in perfect world, I think three days would be a, a good scenario, which I also think Pro League is trying to do, uh, no, the ESL is trying to do for the next, next, year, uh, yeah. next year where you could go home. But you could also stay if you don't feel burned out. But if you want to go home, you have a child or something happened with your family, you can always go home during that period of time and then come back to the tournament. So I think that's maybe the way to go for future. I'm not quite sure yet. I think okay. it was also that way from a viewer's perspective, to be honest, especially with another tournament with some of those teams, like you were saying, like the qualifier for DreamHack Open Fall happening in between that. That just means, yeah, it's just going to get completely split and, and it doesn't really have any connection anymore, especially like, you know, looking at you guys after that, you know, really shaky run in the qualifier, you know, looking at how what the, what the playoffs were going to be. It was a completely different look from the group stage as well. So it's just like, yeah, same same feeling here. Uh, I think, like, obviously, um, from my perspective, I worked it all. So for me, I I, I never had that disconnect. And, and I, even when I made that tweet last week, and, and I think you replied to it being like, yeah, we've got to play the qualifier. I was like, holy shit. I forgot like, how much extra Counter-Strike is still going on, right? Because you can. I've, I've now been going six weeks straight, um, and I have another three weeks, and then I have a week uh, off, and then I do another three weeks of Beijing. And then I have like two weeks off and then it's the global finals and then it's fucking Christmas. So like, I'm like so laser focused on this. I've kind of forgotten about all the other counter shot that's going on outside of it, but that's, that's uh, very true from a, from a viewer perspective. I didn't even consider that. So uh, I, great feedback. Fuck, I'm going to take that with me. Um, but as we, as we move forward, talking about this, uh, this playoff situation, I don't know if we need to dive too much more into mouse sports prof. You want to, you happy to get into the no, Astralis stuff? That, let's go on. Okay, so uh, Astralis Heroic. Now, for those people who missed it, the opening matchup uh, in the playoffs was them on the Wednesday. It was the first game on the Wednesday. Uh, we saw them go down on Vertigo and Nuke, and it was yeah. two 16-7 victories for Heroic. Like They fucking paddled them, and Heroic were looking really, really quite sharp. Now, um, I made some dumb cliche comment, like nothing motivates winners like losing or something the next day when we were talking about Astralis, right? And then they made this this lower bracket run. I wanted it to be set up where we could have them go in the grand final. I think the fact we had Na'Vi versus Astralis meant we had more viewers, so that's fantastic too. But um, getting to see them play again, and and Finn, you were talking about some of this earlier, about it looked like, uh, it felt like uh, Heroic had something they had to prove once more. Um, do, do we think that this is something that Heroic are going to be able to sustain Prof? Because uh they obviously did well in cologne they did well here do you think that this team is going to have longevity about it to keep a rivalry between these two names i don't know like watching heroics wins especially that one against astralis it was a lot of raw skill a lot a lot of raw skill literally all across the board astralis could not match in those basic duels i guess you you take that are 50 50 i think heroic won like 80 percent of them and nico was like wide swinging peaking left and right all the time just like completely fearless and for a reason because you're winning six duels why don't do it for the seventh right you maybe lose it but you win the eighth so that's how they played that's i mean it's not the only thing that they have going for themselves you did describe them pretty well as like the mid-round the fakes and all of that but the aim needs to be like super sharp. And that is not a thing that that remains super sharp for a long period of time. Like that is the thing that is least consistent in, in all players in CS. So I think that could be an issue for them. Uh, but but the 
the fact that they got these players, like three of them, ex, like ex-North, Borup is North Academy, former, KDN was kicked from North, doing the same role he's doing now, in-game leading, opping, and North didn't have an in-game leader at the time, which I said was a bad idea, but other people said Valde was going to be the next IGL star. Let's see how I that mean, worked out. Okay, one person said that, by the way. <laughs> I don't think that was a that was a big consensus on that. I don't know. I think a lot of people were were on that. Okay, point, so. fair enough. Who was but who yeah. was going for Volder? DK. Oh. I mean, it's, it's not. I mean, a lot of people thought that it's not fair like enough. one person. But uh, yeah, and uh, who else did I miss? Someone else was Nico. Uh, Nico as well, former North player who also got kicked. So those three just being super sick now with Tessis who was like the optic trial who couldn't even like do anything in that team with MSL. So it's nice to see all of them clicking, clicking together because obviously they made, they became more than the sum of their parts, right? Sure. Uh, Striker, do you think that, that Kadian's going to have his work cut out for him here? Because sure, he is the most experienced member of this team. He's been playing for years, but uh, now we're talking big boy CS, right? And he has to manage uh, the majority of these younger players now look nico has experience stown's been in hero for some time now obviously coming up from that fragster's roster uh we know that these guys have played at a you know a serviceable on the cusp of a top 10 level but now they're in the deep end right do you think that kadian's going to have what it takes to, to keep them where they need to be i mean especially with hunden not being there at least for the official matches i feel like it is it is going to get a little bit more difficult but at the same time, like Heroic, in these past like six months, they've gotten a lot of experience. They've been playing these top teams all over and over and over. And obviously, they've been successful for, for, for the past, um, what is it now, three months or something since they won Cologne. So it's just, I feel like they're getting to a point where it's not going to be, there's not going to be as much pressure on them. And so I feel like it's not going to be as uh, as impactful on these young younger players on the team. But at the same time, like I said, they're kind of losing Hunden in these in these official matches who could have probably caught them down a little bit, you know, helped out KDN with managing these people. So that's probably going to take some effect, but I don't think it's going to be huge. What about you, Kagan? Do you think that uh, the play style that Heroic have it, it has longevity to it? I mean, I'm watching the streams right now. I'm just taking to myself. Uh, they have so much confidence. It's... The duels they take, the risks they take, uh, they're getting out of it because they're feeling the game really good. They're reading the right, they're doing the right things all the time. And I don't know if you have to catch up for them, but if a team plays like that, the only way you're going to beat a team full of confidence is playing disrespectful CS back. You have to put a stopper to them running you over. Because right now I see them, there's 20 seconds left on Inferno, they're running down with SMG, start hunting Ecofrax. <laughs> That shows me the kind of uh, mentality we had in face. Like, we're just going to overrun them. They have no chance if we just come at them, keep pouncing, keep letting them not playing that game. We just play very aggressive and they cannot shut us down. But if a team shows us a way to shut down their fully aggression and also where they're going to sides, I think they don't have anything else. Right now, I feel that confidence is what makes them really good. I also it's think... Like, it's no. not like I'm looking at Roy like... Oh my god, they have so good structure. Oh my god, they have so good execute, so good timings. It's more like when they go into site, they have really crisp aim, really doing the right decisions, and also oftentimes doing the stupid decision, but it's good in that scenario, if that makes sense. Like you're doing yeah. something, the same was that I played Inferno against Australis the other day. I just kept pushing him because I read everything was happening. And it was at the right time, at the right moment all the time, but you have five players doing that, you're winning everything you can. Like everybody feeding the game, everybody has the same read of the game, stuff like that. Then it's just fun to play. And face in New York comes to mind when people got six round average against us. It's not like 
it's not like I had to call super good. It was just we somehow just got in really good positions all the time where it didn't really matter because they're just fractures coming left and right all the time. And through that's happening with Heroic right now, they might be a really good team, but I'm not sure they can keep up this level of form, but probably a top 10, te uh, top 10 team during the next year where they are stable. Because I feel they have been outside top 10 since, yeah, from beginning of the year, basically. They're outside, really good at pressuring people. They might get a win here and there. But right now, they're contender to be a stable top 5 team. But right now, I just have to wait and see how it works. If they have a bad period of one or two tournaments, what's going to happen to the confidence of the team? And when it comes to those two games, the difference between those two games, between Astralis and Heroic, where Astralis got destroyed in the first time, and the second time was a, little, a lot more closer, I feel like Dupree was a huge part of that, just because in the first game, as far as I remember, he just got out-dueled at every, at every turn, basically, while in the second game, he was in, a, in an amazing form. He was just starting to win those duels. And when you're in three-fragger, like, quote-unquote, obviously, with Astralis, it's a little bit more nuanced, but still, he is the most aggressive player on that team, probably. Um, with a, when you have a player like that in form, it's just going to turn uh, a different way than when, when he isn't. If you get entries into sites, um, you're just going to get opportunities, unlike they did, unlike in the first game where he just got destroyed. Yeah, uh, one of the things that, that we noted when Astralis was smashing complexity was how on point uh, their aim looked. And, and I was like, oh, maybe we put that down to how janky things are for complexity now with a stand-in. But then when they moved into the mouse sports game and they kicked it off on Dust 2, I was like, holy shit, like they're online. Like you were seeing what makes the Astralis individuals good because you got fucking Rops running around with the Galil smashing everybody's fucking head off. But then you have Dupree coming in and hitting every shot as well. And like, yeah, that's a good point because Dupree, I think from that complexity game onwards, just had like awesome ratings. Uh, even in the final, I think he was, yeah, second highest rated for them. Uh, uh, tied with Megas just under device there. So he really did come uh, alive in that one. But this actually is one thing I wouldn't mind running past you as well, Finn. Now, um, I, I would say bet, but we're, we're not allowed to. So what I'll say is gun to your head uh, in a hypothetical world, if you had to, to say what you think is going to happen with this Astralis five-man roster for the rest of the year, what do you think is going to happen? Seven-man roster, sorry. I think they're going to compete really good. I mean, if there's something someone who can make it work I think it is Astralis they have the legacy they have the players and also I don't think they want to end in a scenario where it kind of feels like VP and a PO again by sure. doing this they get a fresh look they keep the players motivated they keep the synergy on the team the same way but with a little spice of Tech and, and, and Bubski I'm not saying all the players are staying or whatever but I feel like by this you maybe do one it's going to happen one day, Astralis not the same five-man lineup, right? Mm. So by doing this, you maybe stretch it out longer for two or three years or a half year or a year. I don't know what's happening there, but I can just imagine that kind of helps them not in a situation where they have to throw a guy out who was MVP one one year ago or six months ago because it's going so bad. But I, I think it's hard for any of those five guys to throw one of each other out, I, I, to be honest, because they're so close. They've been through so much. They know they can come back. So... And they always do, right? And I also feel like when you're talking heroic Astralis uh, rivalry, I mean, I have to wait one year before I can call it a rivalry because yeah. heroic is just coming up. I don't think you should. we should use a, a word like rivalry when it's just started. 
you know, that there's no beef, that if Kriabi was there, maybe there could be some beef about the situation, right? Because I feel like rivalry others creates outside the server, like people left or people against each other, and you see that on the server, or you see multiple teams going against each other, They one team never wins, then it becomes a rivalry, but a one-sided one, right? And I feel Heroic Astralis only started now where Heroic can even compete with Astralis. So right now I feel like maybe also that rivalry kind of thing make the Astralis guys really mad and just want to smash Heroic next game. Because how do they even call it rivalry yet when it's normally been one-sided for many years, right? Sure. Uh, I, I think that the tweets definitely helped. Uh, with Like this is the this is the end line. Of, Yeah, so now we have something to kind of work with going forward when they do go head-to-head. Yeah. Um, but in terms of, you know, the matchup, we've seen it twice. We saw that within the same week. Uh, we can get it a couple more times going forward, I hope. Um, but narrowing down a little bit more, do you think with the seven-man roster, they will chop and change players? Because apparently, I didn't know this. Once again, my vision's been very fucking tied on in. For the RMR event, they've uh, signed up with Esetag and they can't change players for that one, right? So they have to use him. That's going to take them. We didn't them. say that on the show. Literally, Strike did, did explain that to you on the show like Fuck. two, well, two episodes guys, ago. Guys, I'm exhausted. I'm not going to lie. Uh, I have zero days off a week. So get, give me a break. All right, just give me a fucking break. Uh, but with that, do we think you? That's right, because we were talking about we were trying to make the bet with striker. That's right. My memory's coming back to me. Do you think Finn that they'll they'll change any players around, or they'll just play with S attack for the rest of the year? That's very hard to say, right? I think right now when they're winning, it doesn't make sense to change a winning team. Um, maybe they will change. I, I don't know how they're going to practice this, right? Because at some point, if I was there, I would play Mirage. I would have a lineup set for Mirage. So when a team is better on Mirage, I'll swap that in and, and just play the best of three where you know like Mirage is going to wreck the other team, right? But I don't know how exactly they're practicing. Um, but it doesn't make sense to change SS3 tech or someone else right now unless they have to um, because they're winning, right? So they lost the first game with Bubski, and since that they put this Tretek in and they played with him the whole time. Yep. So um, maybe they try that Bubski give another chance in, in the beginning of the Pro League, but then they switch lineup, right? So I would say it depends if you're winning or losing uh, and how the team feels. Um, um, I, like I said, I think they are the first one to could, could make this work. Also how the lineup is in, in the situation, been together for so long time, right? Those three guys, Supnex, Dupree, and Device, was it six, seven years now we're looking at? Uh, yeah, yeah, 2013. Yeah. So, yeah, a long time. That's a long time. A you had the same time. call, right? And yeah. BP couldn't call that together anymore either. Or NIP. Or they tried now at least back together for <laughs> a month or two. <laughs> we'll see how long that one lasts for. <laughs> uh, but I suppose we can move along to the grand final now. Uh, striker. Up, uh, sorry. No, Prof. I know you're a massive fan of best of fives. What'd you make of it? Ah, <laughs> uh, was great. Was great. I managed to not fall asleep, so oh, that's good because that it started good. 5 p.m. So it was in my like in my sleeping schedule. That's good. Uh, was a good game. It was a good game. I can't can't say I didn't want it to be like three maps max or something like that. I think fuck it, I don't want to complain about best of fives, especially in double elimination. There is nothing else you can really do to make it fair, I feel like. You can complain on Twitter, though. That's pretty good. <laughs> do you want to take this? Always uh, an option. I no, feel like. I, 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 I got my rage out when the mics were off, so uh, I'll, I'll let him live today, and we'll see yeah. if he rears his head again. I um, mean, obviously, it was also like four pretty competitive maps, so it will just go on for long. And the breaks could maybe be a, a bit shorter, just like 
cut the analyst desk. What are, what are those guys yeah, even no, there for? We don't know. Honestly, we don't need it because we're doing the whole game legit. Like if it was, if we didn't need the Twitch ads to pay the bills, fuck yeah. Like I'm with you. I'm hundred percent with you. Um, obviously the extended break between the third and fourth map, we do that for the best of fives on land anyway, to give the players a little bit longer break to get yeah. some food and, and, and rehydrate and stuff um, because it is long. Um, but the game itself, right, Striker, if we're looking at Na'Vi, they fucking dropped the ball, didn't they? Yeah. I mean, they had a fucking... Well, actually, there was like... 13-9 or something on Nuke, I think it was. There, yeah, right? something like that. Something like that. They dropped that, and then they obviously had another chance to close it out on train, even though they lost the first the, the first half to 13. They almost made the comeback on CD side, and then they dropped the, dropped the ball again. Like, the two chances I think they had. I think they had one in... Uh, at least one in the first overtime where they had uh, had a match point. I feel like it even happened in the in regulation, but I may, might be wrong. But obviously, they had plenty of chances to close it up way earlier, way before it got to to the last map. So for sure, drop the ball. Were, were you uh, were you impressed with with Navi at least performing online, striker? Like, did you think, oh, this is a this is a nice change? Obviously, the group stage they were playing fantastically as well, but yeah. it, it looked like as a team. At least for the majority of the moments, there there wasn't just a simple and electronic show. Obviously, they're at the top of the scoreboard, but the other players were contributing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, generally, I feel like they played a played a very good game. It's just you know they didn't really have the I don't know what to call it, but they just couldn't Finishing close blow. it out at the right exactly. <laughs> they just couldn't close it out at the right moment. They just didn't have those um, didn't have those big plays when they needed them the most when they needed them to to close out the series. And that's that's about it. I feel like. I was pretty impressed with how Navi played in general and how the individuals played. I, I feel like they lost some bad clutches to Device. Um, the, the nuke one on two for Device to close things out and then the overpass one on two, mm. uh, especially considering that was against Electronic and Simple. Like the fact that we're saying that, that's like three of the absolute best players in the world left and like that scenario is pretty cool. Uh, that didn't hit me at the time. I feel like Electronic misplayed a couple of clutches though, 2v2s as well on overpass, like on the B side, just like... There was that one, I think that was when Australis got onto 15 on overpass, when there was like a 2v2 or something, very low on time. Uh, Electronic was around the the dildo, of course. I don't know how, how people call <laughs> we'll it. We call the pole these days, mate. <laughs> Much better, I guess. Keep it safe. Uh, playing around the pole, he was just like spinning on it, right? And it just overpeaked. If he stayed alive for like two seconds, literally just hiding on the behind the pole yeah it would be it would be perfect right yeah. so i don't know also but it's it's not that that lost in the game it was those fucking t sides man oh yeah what the actual what what <laughs> the funniest thing is and then you see one of the 15 rounds on t side they actually go fast and they win it but you can't actually use that as a metric of anything because of course they're going to win that round because no one expects them to go fast right and then you do it one round you're going to win it because yep. everyone's saving utility. We even saw, I, I think, on Nuke, when Estac just dropped a molly on ramp at like 25 seconds, won the round. Literally won it with that one molly because they're in trophy room at 25 seconds. So GG boys. Like, I don't know. A lot of questions were actually for, for Kerrigan. What do you think about the Navi T side? So there you, there you go. I mean, I often feel either works or doesn't for Navi. That, that's how I see it, right? Because their style is pretty annoying to play against because sometimes there's this contact really fast or they're just playing the slow pace and there's 20 seconds left, they come up short on Inferno, you have no utility to block them anymore and you just kind of feel like you have to take the duel 
or you play passive, they search you a really good way of running into sight. So overall, I never really have an issue playing Navi style-wise. Um, but often it's the clutches they come through with. I feel that wins them game. That's used play from electronic and uh, simple. I also feel like a player you don't talk about much is the perfecto guy. Why is people not talking about how good he fits into the Navi style? I never see Perfecto in his young age of his career doing any mistakes. It's not like you're watching Perfecto today, like, what the hell is he doing? I, I, it's not often I sit like that. He might have an aim trailer too, but he's playing really smart for what Navi uh, needs for the team, I feel like. That's uh, how I feel like it's, it's a very key component to, to Navi. I think he did well in the grand final, especially on yeah, train. Yeah, like, he rating over the series. But that's always going to happen. He's just like that kind of a player that's not going to go for any place. Like, but he's really important to the team. That's what yeah. I. That's what I feel like often goes on the radar, even if he has like a pretty okay rating. But there were some key rounds he played it perfectly with the time or whatever. But he fits really good into the Navi playstyle, which I think makes sense because you don't need a high level fragger. You have electronic. You have simple who is always going to deliver for you and you have bummer going off sometimes in the frag and also flamey is a very inconsistent player lately but i don't feel they need more firepower i just feel like maybe they need a little other style they can surprise people with because they are easy to read but they're still hard to counter i don't know if that makes sense no, I, I get what you, like you, you, even if you know it's coming, you have to be able to stop it, right? Yeah. Uh, and if you can't, like, it's difficult to stop simple and electronic from finding those entries. And that's the thing is, like, when we watch them, and even if those two just have deagles, at any moment, I think that Navi can win one of those rounds. Uh, I think on that perfecto point there, uh, who was it? Was it Simon Gaming he was in before? Uh, which team was it that was in before we went to Navi? I feel it. Why do I? Why do I feel Simon. Like Simon? Yeah, because I remember Simon. it was this time last year when we were doing the Berlin Major and we were doing the Miners, and I was watching him, and he just felt like a safe pair of hands in that team in the sense of he was a bombsite anchor when they'd come his way. Obviously, different kettle of fish regarding the teams they were versing, um, but he would always, you know, get a multi kill. I remember I, I had the pleasure of casting some of those games back there in in the minor, and I got to to watch uh, quite intently. So. I saw what he was capable of before coming into Navi, but I, I think when I watch him in this team, I still feel like he's kind of been given... Obviously, you need someone to do these kind of jobs, but I, I don't know if they're... I, I, he gets left in a lot of clutches, and sometimes his clutch statistics look good. Sometimes the, they, they look bad. Um, and I find as well, he seems to be dropping a, a lot of guns across, uh, which I... I don't know if I if I love that. Like Boomage is happy to play with the MP9, and he's going to drop guns across every day of the week. But like the, this is the problem I have with with Navi is I understand why they run the style that they do. You got the two sharpest tools in the shed, right? So you're going to run them as the key, right? If Simple and Electronic are popping off, which most of the time Simple is, and in recent times Electronic he was a little bit down, but now he's back on more of a high recently. If he can continue that form, that's great. Then sure, you kind of you know it's kind of like two fucking do bulls have horns yeah they do like they're just they're just running in right they're just running in to just fucking smash the opponent apart and then everybody else just has to do their job but if that play style is not working they doesn't feel like they have another gear like especially on their t side right their ct side sure like flamey was looking a lot better his aim was looking good his secondary orping on train was good um yeah. but it doesn't feel like they have a second gear on their t side it doesn't feel like they can change it up and be more strap based like actually have like a geeky set execute like one of the pocket strats you guys always have finn you always have some fucking pocket strat that you've been tinkering with i'm sure you're in the shower they're scrubbing away and you've gone boom this is it that's what i want to run and it's surprised we don't see that from navi considering blade's history 
And I know Blade in the past had to work with some really dull tools, right? Like he's working with the world edits and the fucking Waylanders and that kind of stuff. So his executes with those guys have to be on point and they're going to win through that. But imagine Navi throwing like a picture perfect execute and then simple coming in, only having to check two lines and just headshot, headshot. Like, wh why don't we see more of that? I, I don't understand why they haven't added that to their gameplay. And I, I don't know if time can be. Or we're, what are, we're in fucking October. Um, what do you make of the, the quandary of Navi, Prof? I, I agree with what you said, especially the sharp, sharp tools and the dull tools. I like that analogy. Pretty good. I don't know. It's it's the same thing. Like it's literally the same thing. Like they should be able with everything they have to have more on the T side. And these T sides, when they go bad, they go super bad. And we saw it in two maps, I think, in the in the grand final, which are like complete blowouts. And then on overpass they got something going. I really have no idea. Is it the a boomage thing? It, it, why online is Blade maybe not calling something? Can Blade simply not call because what he wants to do doesn't align with the team i i have no idea i think i think that's that's just pretty much what it comes down to because from interviews that 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 i saw with with blade over the past i don't know when since when he became became the actual coach of this team and when boomich came in and everything uh, around that i feel like blade doesn't always get to impose his will on the team and and they just kind of do what what they like to do, I, so I I do think that it's come down comes down to differences between maybe not just Boomich himself, but just the, the entire team and uh, and Blade um, behind them. I, I was having a meltdown when I was watching the Mouse Sports comeback, Finn. I'm watching how much room they're giving to you on your T side. Here you go, have banana for free. You want brackets? Have it for free. We won't even fight you. And then you've got these little keen marine fucking riflers just rolling in. Like yeah, cool. We're either gonna be pit, you're gonna be sight. You're going to be here, you're going to be there. And you guys are just running in and just shredding them. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on here? And I don't know if that's because it, last season of Pro League or earlier in the year, Boomich got found out because all he did every round was play Sandback. And he just got naded, Molotov, dead every single time. And now it was like, well, we're not going to fight. We're not going to take any control. And I'm like, you've got some of the best players in the world. Like, you could establish banana control, leave Simple there with the AWP, force Mouse Sports to respect you, and then stack your other four over towards A, like stuff they used to do with Zeus in the team. And there was none of that. And I was like, what is going on? Right. I, I, you don't know how many times I called after a 5-0, okay, let's double nade in the Moolah. I'm going to expect some aggression right now. I, it's gonna, I kept calling that for six rounds because when you're losing C to side Inferno, at some point you're saying, okay, screw it all. Let's push Let's push them because they're outplaying you, right? You, The worst feeling is C to side, and we tried that like a few days in a row on Pro League was if the T's are playing correct on Inferno, you get played with like a little toy. You have no idea what's happening exactly on the map. Because they're pushing you away with the utility, or you're too scared to take the duel because you don't have the, I would say, balls to fight the banana, right? Because you have to take the banana to go. You have to make damage. If you don't, the execute that comes in B, everybody at this level knows how exact to execute B. If there's an orb, you know which execute you do. If they have rifles with smoke and mullah hand, you know how to bait it out. And then suddenly time runs down, it gets the pressure, and you have no idea if T's are going around because you get scared to push. And, um, I don't know why they didn't adapt and the way they adapted was not how i expected it was just still playing the same style and just hoping they could win one of the clutches like obviously also under the pressure there when you have to do this big comeback at some point i'm gonna read the game wrong right even though i'm trying to figure out 
okay, now they have to adapt. And then they don't adapt, but then I adapt my call in around very late seconds because I didn't expect them to still play the same. And that's what I think about Navi is they're one of those teams, and especially the T-side as well, they don't build patterns up for you. Every team has a specific pattern. They build up, they build up, then they break the pattern. And you don't never know when they're going to break it, and that's where you make it. You sometimes statistics, okay, when it's a key round, they break that pattern. If it's an important round, they do exactly this because they go back to the comfort zone. Navi is very strange in that scenario because they make strange buys all the time. They have yeah. two AKs. You don't have to buy next round. They buy again. I think on those two was 1-1, one, one, and suddenly it's 5-1, and we played against two times two AKs. They didn't have an Auburn symbol yet. And I don't know where the decision making is there, but that is really strange. When you have one of the best Orbos, get the orb as soon as possible in his hands. Because that's how you win the game. Like you guys said, electronic and similar the two best weapons in your strat book. And that also kind of hurts them sometimes. I feel like when they can't rely on this, okay, if we do this execute now, doesn't matter if we don't have an orb. We just have to get out there, get similar third or fourth guy, he'll refract, we put him in a clutch situation, he wins that clutch. That's how we do it rubs. If I feel like he doesn't get in the game, I set up execute to get him in the game. Because if he's the fourth or fifth guy out, he'll play out the information and clutch out the round that he needs to get back in the game. Uh, I, I think uh, that's very insightful stuff because I don't know if you watch the VOD back. You probably just watch the demo. I wouldn't waste your time with the VOD. But I, I'm like sitting there just like, oh, Navi, what the fuck is happening? But Navi, grand final, Astralis, it was all over. Reverse sweep, technically, I suppose. Um, we got any closing thoughts on this before we move to, to playtime, Prof Striker? Nope. All right, no closing thoughts. Uh, Lucas, are you with us? Play the playtime bumper, my friend. Alrighty then. So now we're into the part of the show where things get a little bit freer and you guys at home have been sending in questions for Carrigan. So we're going to start with those and we'll see where we end up. So uh, Prof, take it away. Uh, this was a topical one because this, it includes a lot of us. Uh, it was for for Kerrigan, but it, you were there. It says about Machine and Astralis interviews being bad. Is the media training that is at fault for, or is it the wrong kind of a question? Is there a language barrier? Definitely not a language barrier. So how do Mao's think act about media training? I, I guess it's a kind of all over the place. I don't know if you caught the interview last night with the uh, tag, right? Uh, Sponge asked him something about, I don't even know something about I, I adaptation. Can, I can, or I'll fill it in. I'll, I'll bring us up. So uh, the grand final, we asked for tag for the interview because he was the, the newest boy, uh, obviously not to the roster, but with that core four. Uh, the opening question from Alex was, was like, how do you feel? You know, you've just, you've just done this. And he was obviously quite happy and he was like, yeah, I'm, I'm very happy. Uh, you know, I don't have any words for it. So, uh, we've gone with the emotional angle there and he wasn't able to like give us much, right? Like in the sense of you could be looking for something along the lines of, yeah, you know, we worked really hard, uh, the lower bracket run, you know, there's a lot of things that, that could be said. Also as attack to this level, sure. It's, 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 he's getting put in front of the headlights in a grand final for him. He hasn't won a lot of things in his career. So it obviously was quite a big deal. Um, then we pivoted away from the emotional questions because we got nothing into Counter-Strike questions. That's the way you go. If you want to make a Counter-Strike player feel comfortable, you go into Counter-Strike questions. So the first one I went with was a with a softball, right? And the softball was setting him up, right? It's a positive one. You want to pump him up so then he maybe be a bit more open with you. 
So I'm like, dude, like you on train, you know, you've throughout the group said you guys were undefeated on this. You went three and zero. You were the highest rated performer for them on that map through the group stage. Da da da. What looks so good about you on train? And he gave us a really good answer on that one. That was, you know, like I watched a lot of demos on this. Um, it was, I guess, a player in my own positions. Also, there's clutching involved, and apparently, you know, I'm doing pretty good in those clutches. And that was a good one there. And then I went a little bit more specific because one of the keys to that train victory was the aggression that uh, Astralis were going with, right? They were doing the low ramp push, nutmegging up through that smoke. They were doing the pop dog push with Dupree, uh, pushing into main. Magus was pushing Ivy. I highlighted that in the post-game segment. Um, so I said, oh, that question, that, that was that to rattle Na'Vi? You know, kind of teeing it up in the sense that um, that question would, would give him room to go, yeah, we know like Na'Vi struggle in the mid-round if they, you know, lose some opening picks or uh, just something along those lines because the game had already happened and they'd already won. Right now, it's not like they had any more matches to play within that tournament. And I understand Astralis always keep uh, a lot of that stuff close to their chest. They don't like giving or every time I remember we interview like Zonic, he's like, oh, we can't tell you that, you know, and, and that's fair enough. I get that, that kind of stuff. But um, it, it kind of didn't give us anywhere else to go with the interview because he it's not that he shut us down. And I, I think that his answer was a little bit more um, open than than interpreted. Like, I think it was, he, he said something along the lines of, oh, you know, you know, I can't tell you that, but, you know, uh, something like, that's what happened in the game. So implying that that was the game plan. Um, so then for me to find more questions after that, like I wanted to ask about them constantly blowing the door off on overpass, I think it was, for connector control. I think that's what they were doing, uh, if I remember rightly. Uh, but as I, I, he's obviously not going to tell me that either. So I, I didn't really have any more questions at that point. Um so I, now we can pivot to you, Finn, in terms of the media training for your boys, being all young players and stuff. Is there any media training? Uh, not as far as I know. Maybe Australia has a, a different team on how to handle it. Um, I think it also comes down to the player comfortable giving away some information he might not want to give away or the coach or the team doesn't want to give away, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, in the end, for example, for me, when I did this all the time on train, I didn't want to give away what exactly my job was. But I mean, everybody figured out after a month or two what the plan was the whole time, right? So, like you say, if they don't want to say exactly what they're doing, it is just protect themselves to not have a problem with after um, the thing, right? Um, for me, I'm fine talking V2 because every time I talk V2 about this overthinking stuff, people think I'm overthinking and then I just go with a safe choice. So it depends how you want to spin it, right? Because if you give out a secret, you probably also have another secret in your pocket. So and maybe you can just play mind was... games off it too. Yeah. That's, that's something you've part. done a lot. <laughs> I yeah, mean, but yeah. it's part of one. You don't know if I'm serious or you think that's the only thing I have or maybe I have three more hands on my in my pocket, but it's not like... I'm going to tell you, you never know, but that's something you have to build up over time, right? Because everybody say I'm very honestly meant to, but sometimes also the point of being honest is that I want people to know so I can rethink other things, right? So it makes sense that he wants to be quiet to be sure he's a new guy and not doing something uh, radical. What, what just just from your perspective, Finn, and not necessarily questions for you to answer, because as you said there, you are well considered in the answers that you do and don't give. What do you think are good kind of questions in, in post-game interviews or what direction? Because this is something with, like, for us, we're not like, um, the, the way that we're doing these broadcasts at the moment is just the three of us. And, and we're basically making everything up as it comes to us, right? This is ad-lib. We're just, we're just whatever we're riffing with, whatever I saw in the game, uh, whatever Alex feels he can get out of the player. That's kind of the direction that we, we take this. Do you have anything that, you know, if you feel would be a nice question to ask? Or at least answer. 
I think it's very tough, right? It depends on what the mood of the player has, how he reacts. You know, every time you do interview with Finnish guys, I just pray to God you get something out. Because they just say no, you know? And I think as an analyst and not being an interviewer, which normally on LAN you would have an interviewer asking the right questions, having this the professional job that you interview the guy on the stage or whatever, you know, he's doing exactly what his job is. But you as an analyst, you want to be very technical. And sometimes you ask the players and he might not remember the round or he yeah. might not even have thought about what you said is the plan. Sometimes I do a game plan and the players don't maybe don't even know why I have the game plan. So if you would ask about my game plan, they might have said, yeah, Finn had some good reads, he prepared the demos, and uh, he knew what we had to do. But he might not remember exactly what I said before, because yeah. there's so much pressure. And also, you're talking to a straight tech guy who just played a final of how long it was? Five uh, hours? Five hours. Like it's not fun yeah, to yeah, do yeah. it in two after. You, you, sometimes in that moment you wish not to do it, you want to chill down, read some Twitter, read the social media, reach out to your friends and family, you know? Um, that's not the right time, and that can also kind of destroy it into, in, in my per perspective. He doesn't want to give too long answers and insightful because he wants it maybe to get over with. Yeah. But I'm I, not sure. I didn't see it into you. I, I, I know from, like, um, uh, like our perspective, a lot of the times going in with pregame interviews, knowing how close it is to match start, oh. especially in the playoffs, like... From my opinion, and as somebody who used to be a player, I would fucking hate to do that because it. I understand why the broadcast they want to get it on because it, it adds something to the pregame segment and the people at home. That's what they want to see. They want to see the players, right? So you're putting face to a name, you're hearing them from them and stuff. Um, but like a lot of those days there, I was like, man, like we really shouldn't be trying to get them on for interviews. We should probably just let them focus on on the game type thing. Now it's a it's a weird it's a weird trade off. If it was like in passing as you're walking up to set up, or you know when you're at the playoffs traditionally at these events, you you're not sitting down at the desk all the time. You you're going to go out with enough time um, before the game. So I think it's probably just a bit of a symptom right now of of the online environment, which is the excuse I'm chalking everything up to at the moment. Um, but yeah, that's a good point because I actually do mindfulness in front of my uh, pro matches and suddenly when I had to do interview, I had to do my mindfulness before the interview, going relaxed into interview, then I kind of get stressed because on the other hand, I had two minutes to disconnect my webcam from my computer, connect it to my laptop to go on the Discord to show myself for the stream. And then I just uh, took my head up and I see we're going live. And I was like, straight 10 minutes of kind of stressful where it's supposed to be calm yeah and you and and all the other days when i didn't do it to you i had 40 minutes after the veto make sure everybody knows what to do join the server get the drinks i need go to toilet do a mindfulness come in full relax but when i had to do it to you i could feel the stress in 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 my body because it's not pre-recorded it's live yeah yeah that's the issue yeah, I, I think maybe I'll suggest in the future, maybe we shift the interview into the um, the pre-game segment we do, which would then give you like a 15-minute buffer. Yeah. Obviously, that's not uh, uh, it's not great, but uh, at least then it's a it's a bigger buffer to be at. So I'll suggest that to, mm -hmm. to the powers that be oh, and see if we can record it. You know, at that point, but still run yeah, it like right ahead of the, the the tournament, like Blast did uh, for the um, Spring Series. Sure. Well, the, the one that some of the problems we have um, is is time. Yeah, the live <laughs> is also better, right? Yeah. Because you might get to ask about the veto or something. As yeah, well, yeah, something true. changed last minute. So I think this putting it so you don't directly come from. I was I was on the server 
closing the thing. I had three minutes to do everything. Mm. So if I had 15 minutes, that would make me okay. I still have 15 minutes to is something coming up, uh, you know, whatever it could be, right? So how, how just curiously, how far before the match do they do the veto? 40 minutes? Yeah, 40 minutes. Okay. So realistically, like for me, the, I'm going to be honest with everybody at home, the whole veto thing, like it's it's cool to talk if it's, if there's an actual interesting veto, like, oh, they've risked this map, they've left it open, will they punish pick? Oh, they have not you know, but that's cool. But that barely fucking happens. Normally what happens is everyone goes comfort pick, comfort pick. Okay, well, we're ha both happy with Inferno, that's the third, right? That's normally what happens. Um, I, I would love to be able to know, I wish we had the veto like an hour in advance. I, I don't know where the threshold on that would be, but if we had it like an hour before the show goes live, that would mean that I could sit down, I could go, okay, we're looking, because right now, I don't think people understand exactly, but if I'm going into a matchup between two teams, let's narrow it down to six maps per team, right? Everyone's got a permaban. From there, I need to now think about, okay, from these six maps, which is it likely to be? Okay, it's likely to be these three. And then there might be overlap. So let's go with four. And to be safe, we should probably prep five. Okay, now I want to prepare uh, CT side. This is the positions they hold. These are the traditional strategies they run. And this is what could work against them. With a little bit of extra time, I could maybe actually do that. But right now the video comes through and I'm like, okay, um, fuck, remember, uh, mouse what's here. I've got notes and shit. But like the thing is I would be flicking through the book. I'd be doing this, I'd be doing that. If I had the veto, yeah. How early do you reckon the veto could be done, Finn, without it being too detrimental for prep? I think the earlier the worse for the players, yeah. because I think forty minutes is a good buffer. Because if I surprise someone in the veto, right, they can't recover from that. Yeah, can't recover from it. If you give them a two hours gap, suddenly he can prepare for one half hour, and it doesn't matter, right? That's um, true. So I like it at land because you go out there, you have set up, everybody's ready, you go to the veto, and you say. Surprise! Yeah. They have no chance to do it. They might have an analyst at home doing the work, but it's not the coach itself doing it. Sure. He has to really rely on the analyst in for the coach always want to double check the analyst work and the coach the in game leader wants to double check the coach. You know, there's like kind of like, like this line where, where you trust each other but you rather want to have done it yourself. Yeah, I, I loved, I love. well, obviously for me, it didn't happen internationally as much because of the events I played in. We didn't have vetoes where you could do it like that. But I remember domestically, like pulling something that you've been working on out of your pocket or you float your perma ban and will they go for the punish and you fucking you counter straddle them and shit and you're ready to go. Like that's such a sick feeling. You've baited them <laughs> into something here before. And that's even before you ever get the server. Like, that's half the fun of being an in-game leader doing that shit. Um, Prof, do we have any other questions for Karagin uh, coming through? Let's, let's do one more. The, this okay. question was about Navi, but we'll just uh, expand it. So okay. because Kerrigan is known for putting players in exactly the right role to make them shine, and the question was how would he role-wise fit Navi? But I think we talked about Navi quite a bit, so we can pick any like any other top 10 team. And how would you shuffle the roles to, to like extract more from the team? How about FaZe? <laughs> that's a sick experiment. <laughs> I'm sorry, but that's the, so, that's the so one that needs fixing. Well, let's 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 say the current lineup, right? How sh how should they have fixed it in a way that would work instead of putting Kirby in a position where he hasn't really they, played? They before? can't. Like, okay. They have too much role conflicting. Uh, yeah. That's how I feel. Like if you want to keep the lineup, um, I have played with Kirby. He is. I would say a really good second third guy into the side. He's good at refracking. He's like he's not fast, he's not scared when he gets in a position, but he doesn't want to go first, right? But the big issue is you don't have an insane anti-fragger or the right guy running in first, doing the rod run path. 
Rain was one of the best second guy I ever played with. That's why I ran in first with him all the time. I knew this guy's gonna refract me. And I feel like that's what they kind of lost face. They don't have this guy sacrificing. And if you are for superstar players, one guy has to take the sacrifice role. Because when you go into a side and all the players are shoulder peeking and you're on Inferno short and you play a guy uh, team with utility, you're dead. Like you're getting flash, you get Molotov of hate, you need a guy making the space. So once you run into the side, you know if he's in right side, in pit, or he's in side, because then you can refrag. Um, so I think that has been one of the main issues. I still think leading-wise, they played good. Nico is not a bad in-game leader. They're playing good CS. But once when it matters in the mid-round when somebody has to run first or go into the side, I think that has been the main issue. Um, so do you think start... they would do you think they would have made it work better with Bimas in a in more of an entry fragger role? Yes, for sure, for sure. Okay. Um Bimas might not have been as good as now because Bimas is not always first. He's first, second, or third, right? So often the first guy in is dead. Like on Inferno Short, when you run up short, unless the flashes are picture perfect and perfect timing, you get the frags. But let's say eight out of ten times that's not true. One of them is uh, somehow not blind, kill the first guy, then gets blind, the second guy from your teammate comes in, refracts you. Um so yeah, I think that would have worked, but that would also put Nico in a more passive in-game leader role. Um as an in-game leader, when I played with him, he had the luxury of me being in the pack. So when Nico was calling or took it from me, he was an A Lurker Mirage as a caller. And that's because I was in middle controlling how we take mid. So he will take, let's do middle uh, default. I'll take mid control, say exactly what flash, I'll flash for you, connector, rain, you get up, connector. And then I'll wait for Nico's call in A-apps. I will give him all the information, the small details I saw, but I would not make the call because I'm not always there with boundaries. So when they replaced me, they might just think, okay, Nico takes my place, Adrian or whatever, you know, still playing the same. And I think they realized the information at the small micromanage i did while nico was calling was never the same way we played it played it took because my speciality is micromanaging and you need a guy in in-game leader who's micromanaging even though you have big superstars in the team you need to micromanage them in a way where you say okay i'll straight for you come with me and they, the other guy's saying yeah sure just go first i'll re i'll refrag you you know he will not you can it's really hard for me in a perspective to say rain go i'll straight for you unless he's low you know Oh, I'm low, so he has to stray first. I refrag. Um, so I think that is what face needs the most, or needed. I don't know what's going to happen in the team. Is somebody who takes up and sacrifices a little more than everyone else, because everybody in the team, player for player, they're so good. Like you can pick any of those players, you can put them in a top ten team. You say he will make it better, he will make it better in that role, right? So um, it's very strange um, in that in that regard. But I think that's what they need—a kind of a taco guy, right? Mm. Who makes space for Kosewa to to uh, be a very good player, right? Or something like that. I don't know, a Stuko guy, maybe. You could put in there, who is doing some of those shit roles. But now he's not doing that anymore. But that's what he did in Mouse. And he did a, I would say, okay job. He wasn't the best player. But everybody knows you cannot have everybody plus 10 in Frex. It's impossible. Somebody's going to do the B-Mirage. And they never come there equal. They always come underground mid or whatever, right? When they come B, they come five guys. They never come one one on one like on A Mirage where you get the duel all the time. So yeah, I think that's the biggest uh, takeaway from face. Okay. Uh prop, anything else you want to leave it there? No, that's it. 
Well, let's, right. uh, let's not go too too long today. Sure. All right. Well, Finn, uh, we're going to open the floor up to you now. I don't know if you want to say anything to the fans or if you have a message for the community or you want to like call someone out and try and get a title fight lined up or some <laughs> shit in UFC style. Uh, mm. But if you have anything you want to say, now would be the time. I'll just say thank you for everyone tuning in today. It's been awesome to be part of the, uh, the show here. You guys are doing a great job also. I think it's important to have, have these discussions with different guests coming with a different views. It's a privilege for me to be on here to kind of vo- uh, make my voice heard by someone else than just myself. Um, so all in all, thanks to all the fans following Mousesports and kept... Um, uh, believing in us, even though it didn't look good when we changed some players and end of uh, in the middle of the year. So, um, everybody stay positive during these times, and um, one day we will all get back to land and hug each other and sign some autograph again. And, and I wish you well. Perfect. Well, that's a, a great way to leave things off here for episode 10 of HLTV Confirmed. Uh, we'll be back next week on the 12th of October, but we're going to yes. be back at 8 p.m. So we're going to be doing the regular time slot. Man, that's going to fucking kill me. Anyway, we're going to be doing the regular time slot next Monday. Uh, tonight, I'm going to say it in case you tune in for half the show, you want to get uh, the rest of the show played to you again. We're going to be uh, streaming it back on Twitch at 8 p.m. as a bit of a rerun. Uh, thank you very much to Carrigan for coming on. It's great to have somebody as storied uh, and as well-spoken as you on the show. I love it when we get some guests who can divulge information like you just did. So thank you very, very much. Uh, and otherwise, head over to anchor.fm slash HLTV. You can get all of the audio options for the podcast there. Uh, that's about it. Um, so thank you for tuning in. Good good message from Carrigan. Stay positive. Spread the love. Chill out. Goodbye. Free the lamp. Free the lamp. Free the lamp. Free the lamp. See you later.